Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer that I'm sure we would crash websites if we ever went up for pre-order. We'll find out hopefully one day. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me as always, a guy who deserves a specialist game called Adeptus Camacus. It's Cameron. How you doing, mate? <laughs> yes, yes, a specialist game where all you do is desperately try to organize where you've put all your paint pots is exactly what you want. Um, yep. I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the market is crying out for a game like that. Oh, yeah. Just just, a, just an actual administratum-based strategy game where you've got to you know pile up your paperwork properly so you don't get executed at the end of the day for not meeting your quota. <laughs> <laughs> well there's always a, like i said there's always a market for it and who knows you know we're seeing so many specialist games coming out over the years you know it's quite plausible i mean i was thinking if if i had a specialist game i think on my last week of what i've been doing i probably would it'd be a game devoted to tor garadon conversions i think that's, i've spent literally my last fair. week what looking at them. <laughs> some people have done so much amazing stuff with that model oh yeah I, oh yeah I'll be, beautiful i was thinking i'll be interested to see how many people have bought it him for the imperial mm. for actually to play as an imperial fist or how many people have bought him to convert him <laughs> for another chapter because so many that's people fair. have done it that's fair oh is, that can be our next big that's our next big competition is Convertitor Garadon, and we'll pick the best one. <laughs> That's, oh, I like that, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Cool. Right. Okay. Yep. Episode 41 is here. What are we going to be talking about? As always, we'll be getting stuck into what we've been working on. Uh, we'll get into the news. I said, not a massive amount, but there's some quite key things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. And then at last, for our main law topic, we're finally going to be covering the Ossiarch Bone Reapers. We're going to go through all the law from their new battle tome. Um, mm. And because of that, we're probably not going to have a discussion topic at the end because we probably need all the time. <laughs> <laughs> to cover the bone yeah. reapers because there's plenty of good juicy construct <laughs> stuff to talk about so that is what we're going to be yes actually do you think do you think there's an osiarch like unit dedicated to getting the marrow out from inside of the bones because they don't want that bit they only no. want the actual bone well, I suppose what they could do is they could string a load of ogres along in in sort of oh, like a, in a mercenary environment. They just have a big <laughs> pot of marrow, just, an as- so that- just assembly line with ogres carefully inspecting bone shards for marrow. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't think they'll be carefully inspecting them with the ogres. They'll be like they'll be having, they'll be yeah, sort of looking fair. to both sides and then have a cheeky little bite of a bone and. And get to drink that marrow. Right? <laughs> oh, how delightful! <clears throat> Mm. Actually, actually, talking of ogres, um, something that cropped up in our Discord this week was: oh. do you do you think an ogre would be able to eat a demon? Yes, Good. based purely Good. on <laughs> its its age of sigma. And there's a big thing with age of sigma is demons don't have invulnerable saves because they are more real in age of sigma than they are in 40k. Like, literally, like, there's magic in the air all the time, so they're always stable and, like, physically there, which is why they're affected by rend and stuff. So I think, yes, I think, yes, an ogre could physically eat a demon. They may not like it. They may not be good for them. (laughs) But I think the possibility exists, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can can, uh, 
get on board with that. So, no, I totally agree. <laughs> right, okay. A uh, bit of admin before we get stuck into the rest of the show. Uh, so, as always, if you want to show how you can support the show via coffee or you can check us out on social media or uh, you want to be great and cool and gorgeous and give us a five-star review on itunes all greatly appreciated but all the notes obviously be down in the bottom um also we're in the middle of sorting out a giveaway for the last episode of the year because i said we're only a few episodes before we finish for 2019 as scary as that is um so we're sorting out a little giveaway for that which is very exciting um also yesterday um because today is for for reference today's the 24th of november recording this one uh, oh so God. yesterday we recorded one month till christmas <laughs> i know one month till christmas oh boy it's all happening <laughs> I know. get your gray plastic orders in and get yeah. on those wish lists <laughs> um but no yesterday we recorded our second episode of our spin-off warhammer waffle because the first one went down really well so we thought yeah let's carry on so as of this recording or when you listen to this episode um it may be out it may not be because we're just going to basically put them out as and when there's a nice little gap to to put them out. Mm. So uh, if it's not out when you listen to this episode, it's probably not very far off. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and also, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, if you join our lovely, amazing Discord server, which is always free to join, no, so the link will be down in the description, uh, you can ask us a question. And the question on today's episode comes from Yarl Sleepy, and he asks... What Black Library character or characters would you most like to see a model of? Mm. Mm. Put oh, that thinking cap difficult. on, Cameron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. This is difficult. There's so many good ones, though. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, well, do you, want, do you want me to kick it off so you can have yeah, a little yeah, time go. to think? That's, mm. prob- that's probably a bit easier. Because I, I suppose I'm, I've got the luxury. I know what the question is going to be. Because um, <laughs> I ask it. Um, right. So I, I've got a few. Um, I think I would love to see Callus and Toll come out. Mm-hmm. So Callus yeah. and Toll is obviously two AOS characters. One is a free guild corporal. Uh, that's Callus uh, and Toll is a witch hunter. And I suppose now, especially witch, witch, hunt, witch hunters have now gone as such because they're mm. not really available now since the the great uh, great cities of sigmar cull i think like mm. so they're not around anymore yeah. are they i think they they're gone so i'd like a witch hunter to come back uh they could have some really cool rules together and i and looking at the artwork on the front cover i think they could really do these two characters justice um you know because mm. toll is like a an older guy as I said, as a witch hunter, you know, I could imagine they making him look very experienced. Ooh, the hunting he's been doing, and obviously with Callus is a, a hardened veteran as well. So, I, like I said, I think I think those two would be quite cool. Um, switching over to forty k, I would really like, and I think this was the first one that came to mind um, from Talon of Horus slash Black Legion is Iskandar Kaon. He's the main yes. character, um, putting aside, yes. obviously, uh, <laughs> putting aside <laughs> Avedon. Uh, but Kaon is basically the narrator of these two novels. He is the Thousand Suns mm. sorcerer that's, mm. uh, you know, that's basically an assassin in some respects for Abaddon. And he would just be awesome. He's, like, he's one of those characters that I've absolutely loved since I've read those two books. And if you've not read them, go and read them right now actually no not right now listen to the not rest right of the show now. and then go and, then go and read them <laughs> um because he is, is they're so good and he's such a cool character because you can almost 
slightly empathise with him at times. Mm. He's, uh, mm. you know, he obviously, you know, he's a Thousand Sun Sorcerer working for the Black Legion. So, you know, he's not a good guy, but he's not all bad as well in his own way. He's quite, he's got his own sort of agendas at time. Um, I think model-wise, he would look amazing um, because, mm. I mean, let's be honest, Thousand Suns always look great. Uh, they could do with, I think, another character. So he'd be perfect for that. He's got a four sword, which is, I think, called Sacramentum. I think his name is four sword. And basically, mm. it's got like, if you read the description, it's got like a, a wolf head pommel, you know, to do with obviously fighting yeah. uh, space wolves and such like. So again, that would be really cool. So I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I would, I'd really, I'd, snap that up in a heartbeat um <laughs> and uh, probably the other character i'd like to see uh, again going back to aos now is uh malineth witchblade now she's from the realm slayer mm. and ghoul slayer yeah. so the recent uh got trek novels I, again i i think i'd like to see a model of her for a couple of reasons a there's not really many um uh, daughters of cain uh hero models in general you know they're mm. a bit limited mm. which i think is why they don't have a start collecting box for for a instance yeah. um and also she's i think she's really cool because i mean in fact she is a daughter of cain but she mm. sort of basically rejected being becoming a witch elf and ended up being a shadow blade assassin instead and mm. she she just looks different if you look at again any artwork of her um like it's just simple stuff like she's got a you know black hair down rather than having her hair up in a witch elf you know <laughs> way of doing things uh and yeah i mean and assassins are cool you know they always look great so yeah, they mm. would definitely be my uh, my top picks, I think. So, uh, so Cameron, have you had any uh, time to digest and have a think? Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll start with AOS. Uh, I would love to see a. Now I know we're not going to see this model, but I would love to see a Pharos, who was the um the anvils of the Heldenhammer guy who was first turned by Nagash in the uh in the Soul Wars book. Yep. I know we won't get one of him because he was spoilers destroyed at the end of the book um <laughs> however his description is really really awesome uh it's not like a traditional night haunt it is like almost like a possessed suit of armor but not quite like he is some weird undead thing that we haven't really seen anything quite like it yet and i feel they could really do something interesting and make him really really unique as a member of the death faction um and also, you know, it'd be cool to have because he said he was he was pretty badass during his time in the book. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I loved his story and everything around that, so I, I feel he'd be a good one to see. Uh, and going over to 40k, one of these is cheating because it technically already has a model. And okay. going going based on rumor engines, I'm pretty sure it's going to get another one relatively soon. And that one is my man, Fabius Bile. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, give give Fabius Bile a new miniature, please. He deserves it. He's getting a new book. He does. Give him a new miniature. Um, <laughs> but it'll yeah, be great. I'd I would, agree with I would that. get that instantly. Um, but the other one I would really want for 40k is Ravenna. Um, mm. Okay. I want I want to see what they can do with this. Is a person in a in like a sealed chair, and like yes. I, I feel the thing they might do is like do the chair all fancy, but then also do, like, the retinue. Um, so all the mm. various characters there. So it's, it's yeah. more like a package deal idea, but I think that would be really, really <laughs> great, especially with the Inquisition stuff we just had. I think would be yes. a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. 
that's they're all solid choices and actually it's funny you say that actually because the first two especially i did actually consider mm. it on my list as well because i to sort of help answer this question i think god i've read so many books what what, what can i think of and <laughs> yeah. then and then i literally went through my audible and was like right right okay I'm like, oh yeah for the fabius bile books i'm like mm, he's already got a model mm. so I, I technically sort of sort of skipped yeah and i, and I said out so of, um, <laughs> exactly he doesn't he needs coming back and also the one out of soul wars as well because i was thinking but then like you mm. i thought oh he's actually not around so hmm but yeah, yeah mm. solid choices and i think ravana would go down a treat as well because obviously you know we've got an eisenhorn model yeah we'll that. we've yeah. had a couple technically so mm. yeah let's do it come on come on games workshop do it we need these characters <laughs> and maybe to be fair we will actually with some of these because obviously it's something they are starting to do in recent times so you know fingers crossed mm. we'll see see what comes of it yeah yeah right okie doke let's move on to the hobby stuff so uh you know, hopefully we've had a fair, fair few bits we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so Cameron, kick us off. What have you been up to? Uh, so first of all, we shifted from very hot weather to nice cool weather for about a week. So I managed to get my Warglaive, uh, not my Warglaive, my War Dog. Uh, that's too many terms. They all sound the same. Uh, my War Dog <laughs> Primed. Um, and I've started painting it up. Uh, this one's going to be called, these names are getting worse and worse. Uh, this one's going to be called Growl Fleeg. Um <laughs> <laughs> which is a rough bastardization of Greyfly because it's going to be based after my first Chaos Knight, but with like the 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 Rotfly head with like the the tube mouth and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and it and it'll have a lot of grey in its color scheme. So I felt that'd be really appropriate. Um, and let me get more umlauts in there because um, <laughs> it's not got <gothic. laughs> it. It's not it's not House Interitis if it doesn't have five umlauts and an excla- exclamation point, apparently. That's the criteria. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so far, I've done basically all the, all the body work. So, like, all the metal is done. It's all rusted up and beaten up, and I just need to do final few touches on that. And then it's all the armor plating and the weapons. And then it, it'll be done. So, it's actually not too far off done. I'd say painting-wise, it's probably, like, the 40 45% done mark if we don't include the base which i won't because the bases are pretty easy to do honestly (laughs) um but it's been a lot of fun uh and uh, i feel feel affirmed in my choice of chaos knights is apparently just the thing i do now um they're they're still good they're still good apparently so um (laughs) that's good uh in terms of other painting and stuff that i've done so dnd snuck up on me (laughs) because um (coughs) Normally we only get a we get a session like once every three weeks because two of our players are fly in fly out for work so they're usually not in Perth. Uh, but everyone's been home for the last few weeks so we actually got on Tuesday we'll have done three sessions in a row uh, which is really weird. Uh, which nice. means I need to yeah need to get my arse in gear and get smog painted for the end of the fucking <laughs> campaign. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. I went out and got myself a can of Mephiston Red and a can of the Munitorum Varnish, uh, because reasons. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of spray painting and he is fully undercoated now with the red, which is good. Um, nice. There, there were a few bits. So people who remember back when I first got this model about a year ago, um, I had a big issue with one chunk of the tail where like the release agent had been baked into the resin and it just wouldn't come out no matter what. So I had to ship off and like get an, get a spare bit sent in. Um, mm-hmm. There were a couple, couple patches elsewhere on the model where that was also the case, but it was like these little like pinky fingernail size spots. I was like, I'll find a way around it. I found a way around it. Just give it a 
spray of Mutatron varnish or you can brush on some matte varnish works just as well uh, before you undercoat it with, the, with your actual primer and it turns out mm-hmm. fine, which is nice. Nice. Um, cool. can, contrast paints continue to be the best thing in the world. I've almost done <laughs> paint, painting the wings and basically the, the scheme here is it's sprayed Mephiston red. I do a middling level dry brush of Wraithbone over it to sort of catch details and stuff and then hit it with Flesh Terror's red um, for like the the basic color to get this lovely sort of deep red, which I really, really like. Uh, and then the scales are just that with Black Templar over the top. So they look like really dark black red, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've got the scheme rolling. It seems to work. It doesn't take too long to do like i've only started painting the wings today and i've already got one wing pretty much done and the other wing about 80 percent done um and for context if you've not seen the model these wings are about as as big as imperial knights so um (laughs) they're not they're not little wings um actually i'd say they're actually they're tall they are very thin obviously because they're wings but they are like taller and i would say broader at points than imperial knights which is ridiculous um that they're the wing is like 90% of the model, it turns out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I've got the body undercoated. I've got the head undercoated and dry brushed. So I've just got to get all the actual color on there. Um, and the base is about 95% done, uh, which is cool. good because it was it was a bit, it was a pain. I did not know you could hide so many jugs in a pile of coins because uh, it's like the, the base is this big treasure hoard and it's mostly coins there's some treasure chests there's some like armor and weaponry in there and then there's like these these vases these jugs and i was like i'll paint those a nice copper color so they'll stand out and every time i look at the base i see another one that i missed there's like 20 <laughs> of them on there or something it's ridiculous <laughs> um but it's giving me a good reason to like give it a lot of passovers until i get it right um but uh, the base is basically done. Base basically, ha 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 ha, which is nice. Um, and from a D and D standpoint, the base is really nice because like we're fighting a big dragon. Why are we doing this? And you look at the dragon's base, and it's standing on like this mountain of jewels and gold. You're like, okay, yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing this for. Um, <laughs> it's very, <laughs> very immediate. Oh yes, there is a reward if we win this. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> And sometime in the next month, that'll happen. I'll probably get smog done by the end of next weekend, uh, and we'll see how we do with that. Um, in term, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a lovely model. I'm enjoying it quite a bit now. <laughs> um, now that I finally um, said, "Hey, you should listen to our Warhammer Waffles two episode to hear my spiel about motivation and how." having to suddenly get this prepared (laughs) made me actually do it and enjoy it. But it's been quite an enjoyable (laughs) process to sort of like summarize that entire conversation down uh, because I'm anticipating this, this whole thing now and it's, I can see it happening, which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, Speaking of visualizing, uh, I've had a lot of back and forth, especially on the discord about what to do next for nights after this final war dog. Well, not final war dog. I'll probably get some more at some point. You know me. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the final one for now. Um, and for a while, everyone was like, "Yeah, no, do a do a Dominus class night. Do the one with the harpoon because everyone loves the ten damage harpoon." And I must agree, I love <laughs> the ten damage harpoon. Um, but that brings its own unique challenges because if I did a Dominus class night, I would want to make it really, really big. And 
I know that there are like people on Etsy and stuff who sell like hip extensions and knee extensions, stuff like that. I'm not a hundred percent if I'd want to use those. I'm like, and the version I kind of want to do, uh, I saw someone on Reddit did a regular sized knight with like the plague burst crawler, uh, cannon mortar thing mounted on the back. I'm like, I want that to be my Dominus class knight. That's going <laughs> to cost a lot of money to do. So let's build towards that slowly. And in the meantime, Let's look on eBay for uh, unloved knights of various descriptions. Um, I decided I really, I really want to do a Serastus, um, so I'm currently scouring eBay for that. Uh, for a Serastus knight castigator specifically, I think is what um, the general consensus was I should get. Uh, but yeah. I've got the I've got the theme planned out already, so I just have to find it, uh, and I've picked up some things already for it uh, because. So far, my knights have been generally gross-ish with, like, they've got dirt and slime on them. In one case, one is being piloted by a giant sentient tree mouth thing, which is great. <laughs> um, and I decided I want to go a little more mysterious and a little less overtly gross and more just old. Uh, so I'm going to do Swamp Thing, um, hey. which is to say, which is to say I'm going to have an incredible, like, this knight is going to be 90% rust. Uh, it's going to be in a leaping motion. I'm going to model it like leaping out of this pool of water. And uh, to accentuate that, I picked up the various citadel vegetations. I believe they're the, the kraken ferns and the creeping vines or something. They're those little yep. boxes they sell alongside the skull boxes. Um, because I'm going to ha- I'm going to paint it separately to all that, but then I'm going to essentially have it wrapped in these vines, like trailing, like it, like it's been sunk and waterlogged for just millennia. And it's finally like gotten the call to war from the house and it is now bursting forth into action, which I think is going to be a really fun pose. <laughs> um, and it will, and it will challenge me to um, be able to do good water effects of like an explosion of water at the back of the base. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, so like I said, I don't have the night yet, uh, but I'm looking on eBay every few weeks, usually something in in the realm of set. I, I got a Serastus Knight and have it partially assembled shows up. And when I see one of those, I'm going to nab it. It's going to get here. I'm going to break it back into its constituent parts um, <laughs> and do my best to rescue it. Um, and then I'm going to be... I'm, there's something I always want to try, which is the chipping method, where you do like... Yeah. you put hairspray on them so you paint the under the like the underlying job of the model so in my case all this rust and then you hit it with hairspray put some salt on the bits you want to chip Mm -hmm. hit them with hairspray again and then do like your armor panel painting over the top of that salt and then you can chip it off to like make it look like the paint's flaking off and i really want to try that as well so i think that'll (laughs) be my that'll be my painting challenge for this one the modeling challenge will be like getting the base good uh, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for this project and hopefully I'll be able to do it over the summer. Um, uh, so to that end, I've got the vegetation, which are really interesting actually, because they're nicely detailed and they are made out of very rubbery plastic. Like you can bend the sprue completely in half without snapping anything or anything like that. Um, I'm actually pretty excited to work with that because that means you can just tightly like wrap it around a knight's leg and stuff like that or like knot it together into sort of a net and stuff like that. So I'm going to have a lot of fun experimenting with that. I think (laughs) I'll still have a lot of stuff left over from that as well. So I can start decorating my bases with more plant life and bring a little more life into this Nurgly army, uh, which will be a lot of fun. 
Um, <laughs> apart from that, da, 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 off the tip of my tongue, I got this month's White Dwarf, which is really, really good. If you guys like the Inquisition, find November's White Dwarf when you can, um, because the they've got the Inquisition Index in there, which updates them for use in current 8th edition 40k which is cool yeah uh but as part of that they also have a bunch of people in the studio made inquisitors and custom retinues and there is so much beautiful insp- in like inspiring stuff in there like <laughs> there's um i think my favorite one is you you know how the skaven storm fiends have like the little the shriveled up brain rat in their back that pilots it yeah and stuff yeah yeah um one of the one of the inquisitor models is it is a it is a, a necromunda ganger acting as a henchman and he's carrying one of those little shriveled up baby people and the shriveled <laughs> up guy is the inquisitor like he's being carried around by his acolyte. Like that's perfect. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Like he's, he's this massively powerful psycho to the point where he forgot to do the rest of body day. Like he only worked on brain. Um, <laughs> um, it's all beautiful stuff like that. Some of it's very, very grim, dark, and Blanchian. Some of it's more like propaganda, inspiring kind of style inquisitors. But they all look great. And honestly. I want to, I, I have like some bits somewhere in the back of my bits box that were one day going to be an Inquisitor and Retinue, and I should really dig those up, because I'm pretty sure I built like double bolt pistol Inquisitor man at one point. <laughs> um, so see if I can find him and make my own little Retinue as like a little side project, because, mm. mm, beautiful. Um, further, further reading past the White Dwarf, I finished up Necropolis from the Gaunt's Go series. It was really good. It solved... Oh. The one thing that confused me about Gaunt's Ghost, which is they are a regiment from a dead planet. They are constantly at war. Why are there any of them left? And the mild spoilers, but the the solution is like at the end of the book, a bunch of people feel displaced, uh, like civilians and stuff. And the local governor's like, well, if you don't feel like living on this planet anymore, feel free to join one of the current Imperial Guard regiments who helped defend the city. And I'm like, oh... (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that makes sense. Um, So now I understand why, like, this group of 1,500 people can suffer 700 casualties over the course of a war and remain roughly a group of 1,500 people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But yeah, uh, it it was really good. I'm quite enjoying it, and I'm going to have to pick up the next omnibus now. Um, So sort of the first couple of books were all right, but Necropolis was really good, and it sort of really picked up. So I'm like, I'm I'm into it now. I understand why people really like this. (laughs) You're committed. Yeah, Yeah, I'm committed. Scripted. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm, I'm scripted into reading like five more omnibuses or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> ah, but uh, I think that's everything. So, okay, on to you. Mm. Yeah, cool. Well, I have. Well, I I'll combine a few of my like my hobby and buying and doing because it's almost all connected, really. Because mm. I had the pleasure last week of returning to the mecca of Warhammer, Warhammer World in Nottingham. Mm. And it was great. We, uh, so basically me and my mate Martin met up with, uh, Alex who we've previously met up with it, uh, at Warhammer Fest. And obviously last mm-hmm. time we went to Warhammer World. And so what we, uh, basically decided to do, and I think I mentioned it last, uh, episode is that we were originally going to play a thousand points each, you know, sort of basically a four player, 
uh, game of 40k mm. unfortunately we sort of all most of us realized that we're not quite ready you know as in model wise mm. so we decided to basically cancel the table um we had a few people drop out so i said it ended up being the three of us but we still had a set of fantastic time so uh what we did is mm. we we met up we had a, a lovely breakfast in bugman's um we had the uh <laughs> the i think it's the the gargant <laughs> size one or the ogre size one mm. breakfast mm. which was uh, delish um, and basically we then went on to do a bit of gaming in Bugman so we basically brought along our specialist game so uh, we basically brought with us uh, Aeronautica Imperialis, uh, Combat Arena, Warhammer Underworlds and Warcry um, so basically we ended up playing two of those four just purely because of time because mm. <laughs> time seems to evaporate <laughs> in that place <laughs> very much so so uh, so first of all we played Combat Arena because basically Alex had brought it back over from America because uh, it that's basically the specialist game that they sell in Barnes and Noble mm. as part of that exclusive deal. Yeah. So it's one of the, I think we mentioned it obviously on the show prior uh, a, a while ago. Basically, it's a it's you know one of those sort of miniature slash board game type concepts. One that doesn't have like Warhammer 40k in the title. It just has Combat Arena. Mm. You know, so it's a bit a bit like that from a uh, marketing perspective. Um, it's damn good. It's really, really good, actually. I was, we were, I think we were all quite impressed with, you know, considering it's sort of, you know, a bit unknown. So this is the the, the game that's got like the Crusader, the that um, uh, Rogue Trader, where the the Servo Skull is is refilling the ammo in her gun. If you remember that model, mm, yeah, she's got like yeah. a she's got like a peg leg as well. Um, so mm. it's that set if you're, you know, but again, Google it if you're not familiar with it. Um, basically, the whole concept of the game is you have one of the characters as your as your uh you know com, you know the in the combat arena and basically mm. it's an all against all um i think in, in the book there's a few like other modes so you can have like a two on two or such like but obviously there's three of us so it was a you know three three characters one on one i i mm. had that rogue trader character i can't remember her name um and um, I think Martin had like this big um, sort of a bit like a servitor type sort of character, mm, um, yeah. and Alex had like the the admech you know sort of uh, tech priest type character, and it's re- like I said it's really good. It's the system's awesome um, in the sense that I mean it's a bit like Underworld. It's all hex based, mm. but basically what you do is you've got like an energy level. So there's like a, like a, like a chart, you know, like a board that you move up and down. And basically the more stuff you do that is of benefit to you, makes your energy uh, go down obviously, but there's things that can recoup it. And basically the more energy you've got, um, Mm. means the more car initiative cards you basically put into the pot so if you imagine the way a turn a round goes is you've basically got a deck of cards with basically the number of cards equal to your energy level so say say we're all on three energy we'll each have three cards in the pot so nine cards shuffle them and then you take one off the top and the symbol is who goes next so basically you go in the Ah. the order that that this little mini deck tells you basically and obviously in theory Mm. the more cards you've got in there the more goes you're going to have you know for example so if you're Mm. you know if you've used a lot of really cool moves and your energy is only two you're going to only have two cards in there therefore you're only going to have two goes in this round where someone may have Mm. four for example uh, if they you know were being a bit more reserved and it's really cool you've got like um and you've got basically like a wound chart on the side. So, so you know, as, as you take wounds, you you know, you go down the chart, and basically when you hit the bottom, and it resets to go to the top, but the top counter, like the top mark of the wound, 
disappear. Mm. So effectively, you keep looping through the wounds, but every time you loop through it once, there's one less at the top. You see what I mean? So uh, you, it yeah. gradually keeps yeah. getting worse. Um, mm. And then obviously, when when you you know when you're at the bottom, you, you know completely, you you're, you're out of the game. But what's really cool mm. as well is that it, when your character is knocked out or you know eliminated from it, if you want to call it that way, they still mm. have impact on the game. Like you can, you still like you. For example, you roll a die, and if and their their you know unconscious body gets in the way of one of the other you know combatants <laughs> and, and causes trouble for them and things like that. And then every time you go and go through that wound, you know that wound uh, table, mm. uh, you pick a you know you pick a card from a, like a um, a critical wound uh, uh, situation. So again, you can you know, you know, get even more wounded or you can suddenly get more energy, like a second wind. Uh, or yeah. you can get like, for example, which is what happened to, I think it was um, Alex's character. He got a headshot and if you roll it, you know, roll oh. a die, so many dice and if you get a six, you're out of the game and that's what happened to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, oh, and then it was just me and me and Martin's character and Martin won because I was, I'd just mm. already taken a beating by that point. But it's really good. Yeah. Honestly, I, if you can pick it up, like I said, I think if you're in America and Germany, I think that's the two countries that mm. have it available to them um pick it up or at least go out check it out it's deceptively good and we really really enjoyed it um so after that we moved on to playing warhammer underworlds okay so we played a a three-player game of that so we luckily luckily we um warhammer world were good enough to lend us a couple of extra boards because um we didn't have enough boards with us basically to play a three-player game (laughs) uh it's my fault i because martin brought his set and i i could have brought mine but i didn't realize so i yeah. forgot but they were so they lent us some boards so uh basically i played as uh the uh steel heart champions that's the original um mm-hmm. stormcast one uh martin was the uh the new beast men one from beast yes. grave mm-hmm. and uh, alex played the caradron uh you know, the other the privateers or profiteers whatever they're called yeah uh yeah. so yeah, we had a three three player game of that, and it, again, it was really good. Um, the only thing I would say mm. is you can tell the difference from the seasons. So myself as the you know one of the original, you know one of the first two mm. war bands, yeah. you could tell I was uh, you know I, I could still hold my own. I you know it, it I ended yeah. up coming last. It ended up six six four on on glory. So I was the four. So it was okay. it ended up being a draw between the other two, and mm. it was really good. Um, but the problem is like for example, I lost one of my uh, characters, I think I lost Oberon, the one with the the two handed hammer. I lost him mm. quite almost straight away, and then most of my um, what they called the objectives. Um, most of my objectives yeah. were, like, were like you need a three per, you know, at least a three person team to get the glory from uh. it. I was like, well, I've only got two people, so I just mm. you know did what I could. But I smashed face on a few, you know, a few of the characters, yeah. obviously. Mm. Um, but you could tell, like with the Beastmen, they've got um, like a mechanic that involves token. I think I've forgotten what the, what the term was in uh, they yeah, use. Um, it's uh, ritual. Counter? Rituals. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Something like that. So that sort of gave a benefit. The, um, the Caradron has some really cool, you know, shenanigan cards that could do really mm. cool stuff. And, you know, again, I, I still held my own, but I felt like a bit out of pace really with it because yeah. I had one of the older, older war bands, but it was still a really good game to be honest with you. You know, we played that for a couple of hours, you know, just getting to know the rules and everything. Um, and yeah, that was, again, really, really good. I, I really recommend Underworlds. I mean, obviously, I know yourself has played it. Mm, and yeah. <laughs> anyone on the fence, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a solid game. It really is. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. 
So that was really good fun. So we played those two games mm. and then obviously we went shopping, obviously. Um, so <laughs> I, I ended up buying a uh, gut rop spume for my Nurgle AOS army. He's a lovely mm. model. Luckily I managed to grab the last one they had on the shelf, which is cool. So I bought him. I bought a bale wind vortex, which is mm. obviously one of the endless spells in AOS, which is one of those sort of generically good ones. You know, it's a bit like cogs, yeah. you know, you can sort of use it in most armies. So I got it as a, right, this is going to come in handy at some point. Uh, so I bought that. And then I bought uh, Blood Rite, which is uh, one of those little novellas, not from the recent novella set, but it's a novella mm. by uh, Rachel Harrison. You know, um, okay. yeah. so yeah. if you remember, there was a, uh, Phil Kelly did an, a novella, I think it was called Death Knell from off the top of my head, that was based mm. around the 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 last season of the um, Space Marine Heroes. You know, the, you know the the ones where you buy them for like five pounds mm. or five dollars and yeah. you get a random um, marine. This is for the next ones. You know, the the, the mm. ones that have come out recently. The a lot of the you know the, so it's basically the Blood Angels. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So it's based on that. So I've I've not had a chance to read it yet. I'm going to start it soon. And but yeah, you know, I, th- I thought well, I haven't seen it anywhere in the shop, so I'm, I thought I'll pick it up now. <laughs> so that's really yeah. cool. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so since then I have built Guttrop Spume. He is disgustingly gorgeous. So he's mm-hmm. there, right in the cabinet, right in front of me, to go <laughs> along with uh, my uh, Blight Kings. Uh, I also put together the Beowind Vortex as well. It's a big model, actually. It's a lot bigger than oh, I yeah. thought it was. <laughs> mm. um, and what uh, I think I said it on Warhammer Waffle yesterday that uh, one thing that I forgot about it is the fact it comes in a bag. I it's pre-cut mm. out of sprues because it's you know yeah. it's one of those sort of sets basically. So. It required a lot of cleanup, if I'm being honest. Like I said, it had a lot of mold lines. So I was there for mm. ages, to the point that my <laughs> my like wrists and hands were aching from the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of scraping I had to do. But it is a gorgeous model, actually, and oh, yeah. it's really big. So uh, yeah, so I'm gonna I've got that uh, mm. in my cabinet at the moment with my uh, Nurgle saucer on top, looking looking uh, high and mighty, I'd say. Mm. <laughs> so I uh, got that. Um, and reading wise, um, I have obviously read the Bone Reapers tome because obviously we're going to be covering it very shortly. And yep. also, <laughs> I finally got round to listening to the Lost and the Damned. That is the second Siege of Terror novel, so the mm. one after the Solar War, and very good, very very good actually. Um, I would say it's better than the first one. If you know the Solar War, I mean the Solar War mm. was good, but I felt because it was just all space combat, it got a bit. I don't know, a bit samey, a bit, you know, none of the character didn't really click with a lot of the characters. Um, yeah, I may be doing it yeah. a bit of a disservice there, but I, I, but I still enjoyed it. Whereas the lost and the damned is obviously set. Uh, well, the lost and the, uh, this short little spoiler bit. So if you haven't read it yet, you may want to ignore the next sort of minute or so, but, um, but basically the lost and the damned are like the, are like basically like the beast men and the, you know, the traitor mm. guard that they sort of send down, uh, onto terror. You've got a lot of the primarchs in it. You've got, um, <laughs> one of the best things that, uh, just the thought of it. Imagine Angron, who's now obviously a demon prince getting mm. jet, you know, jetted down to terror out of a ship you know imagine just it being like literally you know <laughs> torpedoed just out open, of the ship yeah just open is, the airlock and throw him yeah that is one of the coolest things concepts That's um, awesome. so yeah so yeah you've got like so basically you've got a lot of um a lot of interaction between sanguinius um khan and dawn and obviously a bit of okay. um you know a few of the other characters as well and obviously then you've got obviously 
Horus Abaddon and a lot of the demon princes and and mm. Perturabo at that point, um, you know, interacting. It's basically all about how they're going to basically bring down the shield uh, effectively yeah. that's protecting the palace and such like. So um, I won't say any more than that because, like I said, I'll be really spoiling it. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's a really good, typical guy, Haley. I think he's always solid and he's mm. proved it yet again on that one as well. Um, yeah. And lastly, I am next going to be listening to Hell's Reach. Um because I shocked shocked people on our Discord that I've never got around to reading or listening to Hell's Reach, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's about time. I've got you know a yeah, few audible fair. credits spare. <laughs> I was like, right, it's about time I, I listen to this. So that is what I'm going to be doing next week. So yeah, that's been my hobby stuff. So I've been actually playing stuff, awesome. building stuff, reading stuff. Mm. So yeah, it's been fairly productive actually. Yeah. So. Okie dokie. Right, okay. I think that's it for our hobby section. And then when we return, after our our first little break, uh, we'll get stuck in talking about all the news and probably a few controversial bits (laughs) as as well. Mm, So, uh, yeah, (laughs) back soon. And we're back. It's time for that news. Right, Mm. okay. Um, Like I said, there's, uh, like I said earlier, there's. You know, a decent amount to get stuck into. More, it's more, I suppose, quality over quantity, I'd say, yeah. on this one. Yeah, yeah. as <laughs> opposed had, to a few not, previous ones. <laughs> exactly, where they've just been, we've just been bombarded. Whereas this one is, you know, uh, you know a few bits, but there's been a few big bits <laughs> that we've mm. got to mm. cover on this one. So, as always, we'll start with 40k to see what's been going on in that universe. So, right, let's start with the Sisters of Battle Army box. Obviously, we know this has been coming for a while. Um, as of it was last weekend, last Saturday, it went up for pre-order, um, yep. and as I joked about at the start of the show, uh, <laughs> crashed websites, yes. <laughs> including <laughs> GW. Um, so right, so in Australia, how long did it last for? How long? As in, how um, long before they all sold out? It took less than two and a half minutes. Uh, I know this because oh, wow. I, I I popped into the store. Um, I self sabotaged and made sure I was driving when it went up for pre order because I knew I would try and get it otherwise. Um, but <laughs> uh, I got there about quarter past ten. Um, and effectively, at ten o'clock, one person got an order through. The second person went to add it to their cart, and it was gone. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, <That is> crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i mean i think here in the uk it was i think from what i understand because again i like you i self-sabotaged i was deliberately mm. out and about so i couldn't yeah. be tempted and i think here obviously we were gonna you know realistically have more copies over here because oh yeah you know it figures um mm. and i think it was about half an hour i think okay. before they yeah. all sold out you know it was a bit more reasonable than two and mm. a half minutes yeah. um I, I know that like i said it crashed quite a few websites i know for example alchemists who obviously mm. you know friends of the show they their website couldn't handle it i mean because obviously they're proving very popular so they <laughs> they <laughs> they struggled obviously gw did um i mean i mean it's inevitable it was always going to happen regardless this is going to mm. be one of the most if not the most popular release of the whole year because of obviously oh, yeah. it's plastic yeah. sisters and <laughs> you know this was inevitable and as we said before you know it's a very it's a decent price for what you're getting in there especially oh, yeah. the fact you're getting the codex as well mm. uh, it, it like i said i i know obviously it's one of those situations where you could say well 
they could have produced more, but you know, there's always going to be a finite number of these. That's inevitable. Yeah. And also, you've also got to consider the manufacturing as well. You know, the mm. the key thing to remember is a lot of their, you know, a lot of the books and gubbins. You know, the the you know the card stuff and everything like that, mm. that comes in these boxes is, is generally made in China, whereas the models are generally made here in the UK. So yeah. you know, realistically, it's not just as simple as pumping out more models and go, oh, it's no, right, we'll just get them off no. the, like, out of the factory. You know, mm. ultimately you've got to tie it in with the, you know, the specific amount that's been, you know, that's been made in China or the, you know, that mm. part of the box mm. anyway. So, you know, that was always going to be the case. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, like we said on Warmer Waffle yesterday, I don't feel bad for actually not having it, to be honest. I, I, no. I feel that, you know, I, I think this is one of those releases where I hope, that as many people that have bought this is, uh, let, me, let me reword this. I hope the people, excluding scalpers, because obviously inevitably hmm. there is going to be those, yeah. is that it's at most as many copies as possible has gone to people that want this box. If you see yeah. what I mean? Obviously, not yeah. everyone is, you know, because of the, 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 like I said, the, the finite number of them, not everyone got a box of this. That's just no, unfortunate. No. But I hope, you know, of the X amount of, you know, boxes there are that the scalpers only managed to take so many because, again, that's caused yeah. a lot of hoo ha, isn't it? Um, mm. <laughs> it's bad. I know it's, it's really frustrating it's, that oh, what they're going for. Look, I have been very tempted to just spend my day on eBay, uh, giving offers of one dollar for every sister's box <laughs> I see that's priced at like you can get it now, super rare, out of production, only three hundred and fifty pounds. I'm like, it was three hundred and fifty Australian dollars. You don't <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's, 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 I mean, unfortunately that it, it's difficult to deal with this, um, you know, yeah. in lots of ways, because, you know, even if you put a restriction on the number you could buy, there's still nothing stopping someone buying one box and then just, mm. you know, hiking the price up because it, they're, how are they yeah. different to one of us doing it? You know, ultimately mm. it's just, mm. you know, a person can buy a box and go, right. Okay. I bought it for 125 quid or, or less in, in mm, some cases, yeah. you get it from an indie store and you go, right, okay, I'm going to charge £350 for it. You know, yeah. one of us could do that if we really wanted. Um, but, mm. you know, it's it's yeah. very difficult to 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 deal with this. And, and unfortunately, yeah. it's just, it comes with limited stuff. You know, when you've got something that's yeah. limited, yeah. it's going to happen, unfortunately, as, yeah. as shitty like, as it is. The, like, the way to prevent scalping is to increase general supply. Unfortunately... Mm. Uh, and this is this is partly because they wanted a cool limited release. That's fine, but also any product that either is a book or contains a book was written probably at least a year and a half ago, and was printed mm. at the very earliest a year ago. Like mm. um, the 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 amount of time it takes to get all the separate pieces, like you said, for this box together is ridiculous like we 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 only see the end product we see like games workshop announces something and the next week it comes out and i think the problem with that is part of us goes oh they can just pump these out whenever it's like no 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 the, no. the for, for example the dark uprising box i'm pretty sure went to print a year and a half ago like they started making mm. the models and making the books and stuff and it came out end of this year <laughs> like it it, it was mm. first it first done in 2017 is when it started production and it only just came out. Like this is, <laughs> and the problem here is like this, this boxed 
fever effect that seems to have hit the community all of a sudden only seems to have started like sort of early this year is when people really started going oh yeah it's a box set i need it everyone needs it and these box sets start selling out almost instantly and i'm not sure what exactly shifted in the community to cause that um i i I sorry i'll just interject there i think i I, I completely agree um i think it's because of the random nature of the boxes as in if you think and we've discussed this before if you think a lot of the boxes especially this year a lot Mm -hmm. of them have either sold out you know, before it's even hit the hit the shelves, you've yeah. had ones like Shadow Spear, which you know sold really well, was around mm. for a while, and then all of a sudden disappeared. Um, yeah. And the same with a few of the others. I think because of that, I think people have realised that if you don't jump on it straight away, mm. then there's a good chance you may not get it, which is probably a bit self fulfilling in the sense. I think that you're yeah. right. I think probably what's happened it's crazy. It's created like a false um you know a false uh you know rush for it in in the sense mm. that like i said when shadow spear came out you know you could buy it quite easily straight away yeah. you know it was fine yeah. you didn't there was no pre-order issues as far as i know and then if you went to your local store the next week there'd be copies around it wasn't a problem and then all of a sudden i think about two about two <laughs> months month later yeah it disappeared yeah. and obviously we've seen it with the original kill team and obviously Warcry as well i know mm. they're obviously games but it's the same principle where they just sort of suddenly go right um yep that's it these are the last few copies it's got when it's gone it's gone and and then yeah. i think now that's caused a knock-on effect with every box we've seen mm. it with mm. uh particularly carrion empire and loon curse on the, yeah. the aos side where they disappeared you know before they even hit the shelves and again we've seen it recently with feast of bones where that wasn't Mm. as bad as in i think maybe there was more copies around than before because it Mm. it, you know you could everyone got their pre-orders and then some of the indie stores got some afterwards as well and you know looking on the internet the odd store still had a couple of copies lying around so i think Mm. that was a little bit better but it's still the same principle where people are just jumping on it and obviously yeah. it was inevitable with the sisters box there's no way that was not yeah. going to happen oh yeah so they're like the problem here is twofold one is like they're producing these things so far in advance like when they sent the sisters box to like production they probably sent it sometime early last year ironically enough um mm-hmm. or like middle of last year at the latest and they went cool we'll do a relatively limited run We'll do, we'll produce, you know, 10,000 boxes or whatever, because, you know, our statistics show that, you know, if we make a box these days, it sells about 10,000 copies in the first month and then a few afterwards. So if we want just a limited run, just make 10,000 flat, ship them out, whatever. Uh, and then the box fever began and suddenly 10,000 <laughs> copies worldwide was definitely not enough. I'm sure it was actually more than that in terms of actual number of copies yeah. they made. But like, yeah, course, the principle yeah. is all, all these currently produced products. The number of them that exist is based off estimates from a year or two years ago on, like, how yeah. popular they would be. And there's no real way to integrate that. So if Box Fever continues, I predict it will be another year before it sort of flattens out and they are able to produce the larger supply on these big boxes they do. Mm. Um, and then the secondary problem is they can't produce these specific boxes forever and they can't keep them in store forever because they're a big box they take up a bunch of space uh both Mm -hmm. in warehouses and in physical stores uh and so they are going to go away at some point uh whether it's just a single printing run or they print it for a month and then stop yeah 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 i mean that's yeah exactly i mean like you said they take up 
far too much space, especially with the number of them. I mean, obviously, you know, back in the day, you would, you know, years and years ago, you'd have whatever the 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 40k starter set was, whatever the well, fantasy, and then obviously, obviously, AOS, and then mm. you may have the odd expansion around, but that was it. Whereas, like I yeah. said, now, you know, there's a lot of these, you know, these box sets that are just mainly to kick off one or two types of armies. And um, I think what would be a nice sort of sweet spot is, <clears throat> excuse me, one a sweet spot would be similar to Shadow Sphere, where mm. you don't have problems getting it from pre-order. You get it day one if, it, you know, they're not disappearing. And then you've got a couple of months to get a copy. Where, yeah. you know, I know obviously, yeah. you know, some people that may not suit because they may still not have the funds available to buy it. But in mm. a couple of months, that can help a lot of people. Because, again, how many people yeah. go, well, uh, I haven't really got quite the money at the moment. But, you know, next payday, I would. But it's mm. already gone, been and gone oh, yeah. by then. And, yeah. and, you know, and you've missed out. And, and you know, it's the same, what we, it's similar to what we've said with the made-to-order stuff, you know, when they give it mm. a week to to order stuff. I think, I think I never feel like it's quite enough time. Like I said, yeah. to me, something like a month would be more appropriate because then again, it, then people's paydays can come around and then mm. they, or it gives people a bit more time to, you know, because again, like we said before, everyone's, you know, sort of finances are totally different. So, yeah, I just think, like I said, Shadow Spear, that situation where, okay, you know, it's been out for a few months now, we're going to start winding it down now and et cetera. And then, mm. you know, then people have had a good, you know, good chance to get it. But, you know, they're, they're, I suppose they're still trying to work it out. I mean, I know you can put your your sort of conspiracy hat on and say they deliberately make or <laughs> make X amount mm. just to make it limited edition and so people buy but. I don't think they need to do that, to be honest, because no. I think I just think sometimes they just and they admitted this uh, uh, again mm. going back to Warhammer Fest. I remember it was asked about Loon Curse, and the guy said they get it wrong sometimes, as in they mm. they severely mm. underestimate, and I th- it sort of suggests that, that that they severely overestimated in the past, i.e., mm. they've been stung by going, yeah, everyone's going to want this, and no not everyone wanted it yeah. and then they've got all yeah. this stuff lying around taking up mm. space which they can't yeah. afford to have so I, I suppose it is a fine balance um i you know i suppose there's obviously they obviously they, and they admitted it they have a team that works this out you know that's mm. obviously in you know in analyzing data and things like that so you know it's a yeah i suppose yeah. a fine sci- science at the end of the day but yeah i mean you know they've nearly got their second factory built so on the miniature side of thing i don't think demand is going to be too big of an issue in future printing we'll see um if they can get more deals yep. to print more books at more places who knows but i feel mm-hmm. um I don't. I, I always feel these days like I should have convinced my parents to buy Games Workshop stock when I really got into it uh, <laughs> back when I was back when I was in like my teenage years yeah. because it's risen quite high. I feel Games mm. Workshop is at the point, and I think they understand that they're at the point that they could print what seems like an excessively large amount of a box set and probably still sell every single copy, if not directly to a consumer, at least to another retailer. Like yeah, probably. The yeah. demand, the demand is there for like probably a good ten times what they currently produce, and it's just a matter of mm-hmm. being able to produce all that reliably. With they are still a company with minimal risk is what they're looking for. Like they don't, like yes. you said, they don't want to make say, let's say, Dark Vengeance, which you can still find in certain stores today. It's just hanging <laughs> yeah. around. It just exists. It was a great yep. box. Don't get me wrong, I loved it, but they probably made a few too many copies of that. For example, yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly, and that and that's probably what they're conscious of, you know, because mm. like you said, they are a very, you know, they don't like doing risks, or they they like doing risks on their terms. I would say, you know, mm. at times, yeah. so you know, they they they, I suppose, want to get confident with it. And and like I said, maybe this year has been, you know, the year of the of the of box fever. Is it? Is yeah, it's yeah. no coined. Uh, you know, they they sort of work work it out. Really, mm. is what I'm yeah. trying to say. You I know. was going to say it's the um, year they fire the stats team and hire some new people. Maybe, but <laughs> depends. I hope they don't. I'm sure, no, like, no, no. one saw this coming. <laughs> but like, you no, need to you need exactly. to get some new get get a new algorithm going for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I suppose if you're in that type of thing, you're only as good as your data. You know, sometimes it's actually the data mm. that's being collected that isn't correct as opposed to the people deciding off the back of it. That but, is true. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? <laughs> it could, or it could just be warp sorcery. Who knows? Mm. Um, that'd be more appropriate. <laughs> right. Actually, talking of uh, warp sorcery, let's move on to uh, Psychic Awakening. Um, mm. Sort of two. Well, let's combine them, two and three, in the sense that Psychic Awakening 2, Faith and Fury, is out next week. Uh, it's, yep. it's been part of that two-week uh, pre-order window. So that's, like I said, out on the horizon. That's basically, if you're... If you're into Space Marines, Black Templars, and yeah. Chaos Space Marines, yeah. fundamentally, then you're you're going to get some nice stuff from what I've seen. Um, if you're into again the Space Marine side, you're going to be very happy. And if you're into the Chaos Space Marine side, you're probably not going to be as happy because you've got a few bits, uh, but um, not as good as the Space Marine stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically, like the thing is. I think I think that's because there's a little controversy in the community here as well, and I think that's based around Space Marines have just become super dominant in like the competitive side of things. Like mm-hmm. they've got, mm-hmm. they have the newest, coolest, effectively like 8.5 style codex, and not only does uh, Faith and Fury give the Black Templars their own versions of all that, but it also has more options for Space Marines in general with the various, like, Masters of the Forge and Sanctity, etc., which are stratagems you can use to buff up your characters to, say, let your chaplain chant two litanies at the same time because he's just that cool. Um, Which, that's fine, that's great, Um, but this was billed as sort of like equal focus, chaos, and Space (laughs) Marines, and the problem there is... There is a lot of chaos stuff in this book. I feel I feel I should point that out. There's um mm. I think six legions covered in here or something like that. Five or yeah. six legions. Yeah. yeah, there is, yeah. Uh but the issue is, even more so than Space Marines, Chaos Space Marines players tend to pick a legion and stick with it. So mm. Black Black Templar's got essentially a full codex supplement in here. It's just not got all the lore for like this yes. is all the Black Templar stuff throughout the ages. Like, no, it is rules wise a full codex supplement. And then each Chaos Legion got new Warlord traits, new relics, some new stratagems. Nothing changed about how they play otherwise. Now, I don't want to be negative here, because I'm actually really excited for a lot of stuff in the Chaos side of this. There's some super <laughs> yeah. cool stuff. Um, I, I've seen all the World Eaters stratagems, for example, and they look ridiculously good. Um, <laughs> there's things like, before the game starts... Pick a unit of corn berserkers and they start running down the field already, uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, they're flavorful, they're strong and relatively cheap for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it buffs them up. It makes them more interesting and fun to play, but it doesn't put them anywhere near what space Marines have suddenly been pushed up to. And I feel yeah. a lot of people yeah. are, uh, to be fair, a lot of people are in character because they are bitter and hateful over that. <laughs> and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. 
it's it's <laughs> fine to not be happy that you're not getting pushed up to this level, uh, especially because yeah. Chaos Space Room was the first one to get a redone codex, and it was essentially not actually a redone codex. Um, they've been mm. I, w- I would be the first to say they've been a little mistreated uh, in terms of comparing them to how good the Imperium has it. Um, but the stuff that's in here is really cool for Chaos as well. I want to say mm. there, like Empress Children stuff, great. Alpha Legion stuff, radical. Iron Warriors, mm. yes, love it. Like I said, World Leaders, <laughs> so good. Um, and the Nightlord stuff is nice as well. Word Bearers, yeah. I have my one issue with the Word Bearers is why don't they get their own set of litanies? Because they are literally the mm. priest faction uh, instead. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah. Who knows? Maybe they'll get a proper Chaos Codex 2.0 come out mm. and they'll get pushed up to that level. Um, but yeah, I've yeah, seen suggestions I've... that could like, because the, the Sorogis Codex is like this as well. It's like, it's got a thing mm. where if everyone's from Sorogis or Ministorum, you get this army wide buff, which is the same as combat doctrines, but it's simpler. And I feel they could have included that in here. Like if every model in your army is word bearers, everyone gets a five up in bond for demonic possession yeah. or something like that. But they don't. Yeah. I, so I mean, the, the, there's also the theory that these books were written separate to obviously the other books in the sense what's potentially mm. happened is that because of obviously how good the recent Space Marines Codex is, that obviously mm. Faith and Fury as an example was written separately by a different team and in a sense yeah. in isolation they're you know, they could be arguably on par with each other, like, oh, some cool Space Marine stuff, oh, some cool Chaos Space yeah. Marine stuff. Yeah. The problem is because of the Chaos sorry, the normal Space Marine Codex really given a gulf between mm. the two factions that this is just you know when now when you bolt faith and fury on top it's just made space marines even better than they already are you know compared yeah. to chaos space marines in general i mean like you said narratively and fluff wise the, it looks fantastic it looks great you know like mm. i said they, you know like i said I've, i was reading some of the night lord stuff and it makes them you know how you would imagine them from the you know from the terrorizing you know type of yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I it dep- again it depends which angle you come from. Um, balancing is always a contentious subject in these games. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's I mean obviously it's not our bag anyway. So it's just at the end of the day, it's cool new rules for these different factions. And yeah. you know, unfortunately, you're always going to have a gulf between certain factions. That's just the way things are often are. So. But like I said, it's out next week and it looks really cool. <laughs> and yep. also the, the third one has been announced as well, which is mm. called Blood and Talons, which obviously yes. is going to focus on the Blood Angels and obviously the Tyranids, obviously off mm-hmm. the back of the devastation of Baal, which I am, here I am, oh, there we go, but I'm rubbing yep. my hands yep. uh, I'm just to see what well. comes of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favourite you know, bits of the current timeline mm. is the uh, is that side of things with the uh, the Blood Angels and Tyranids. Um, so yeah, we don't really know much about what's coming from that. Obviously, it's, we just know it's going to be the next mm. book, and it, and also it shows the pace they're throwing these out of. You know, like oh, I said, yeah. we're already on the verge of book three. You know, and it mm. feels like wow. You know, we're gonna. <laughs> you know, they really are getting these out at a pace. But obviously, yeah. you know, what comes from this is obviously we've someone else has braved the Rubicon. Yeah, uh, as 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 uh, no surprise <laughs> to anyone, uh, they've now announced what the new Mephiston model looks like. And mm. uh, Cameron, what do you think of him? I think he's pretty swell, that Mephiston guy. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. Um, 
Also, <laughs> he, he came out to the most metal soundtrack, which uh, someone managed to track down, by the way. It's called Tyrol by a Ukrainian artist named Sergei Otsarian. Uh, look up the full track. It's about two minutes long, and it is really good. Uh, I've been listening to it all week. Um, <laughs> uh, but, God, Mephazon looks so good. Oh, my God. Um, I... I actually don't super love his, like, plasma pistol pose. Like, it's fine, but it just feels really generic heroey. But, like, his one where he's mimicking the original artwork, where he's, like, wiping blood from his mouth, or um, in the opinion of some people, sniffing his stinky finger, um, <laughs> looks... <laughs> apart, from, apart from that interpretation, that pose is incredible. Like, it really sells mm. him for me. And he is massive, as far as we yeah. can tell. Like, Yeah, he looks it. He makes he makes the box dreadnoughts look small. It seems, which seems <laughs> seems like a weird thing to say, but I think he's about the same size, honestly, in like terms of height, at least mm. at this point. Mm. Which is he's so big and he's so fierce and cool. Um, I think we've seen leaks for his rules, and he just gets the standard, you know, extra attack, extra wound um, stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything else about him changed, but honestly, he was already pretty pretty goddamn strong. As it was, yeah, yeah, he was, so. yeah. I think for, I think if you're into Blood Angels, he was, he is one of those almost must-have units in a, in a mm. list in general. So, like I said, he's only just going to get better. Um, I think model-wise, I really, I really like him. I'm not, I said, like I mm. said on our Discord, I'm not wowed by him. I think there's a few bits I'm like, mm, okay, but I think as a package, I think he looks great. Um, mm. I wouldn't be, I'm not disappointed by him at all. Like you, the plasma pistol. Uh, pose i probably prefer the you know, sniffing finger one yeah <laughs> i'm saying i i think that's just you know it's a bit more thematic um i think in all honesty it's actually may, and it may be when we see him sort of in the in the gray plastic it may be different i'm, mm. I'm not a big fan of his hair i know that's what his hair looks like but yeah. in the way in the official put you know sort of um picture he looks like he's got like i know spaghetti hair the way it's painted, yeah, it looks yeah. like he's got a bowl of pasta on his head. Um, but, you know, but <laughs> I, I, I just, I suppose I, when I see the artwork where he's got this like free flowing hair, like almost like, a, like a, I know mm. it sounds really, you know, nitpicky, but I'd prefer if his hair was a bit more wild and a bit sort of like yeah. over his, over his sort of chest plate a bit, like mm. a bit longer. Whereas like now he just look, yeah, yeah like that like a bit a bit more feral in that sort of sense but mm. that's just me being very nitpicky but overall he looks fantastic and and it's great mm. because they've kept they've kept the original aesthetic of him you know with his uh, you know his nipple armor and the mm. uh, the bridges <laughs> on on his armor and everything like that it, you know it looks oh, you know man. you can clearly tell it's Mephisto on so yeah. yeah I think I think if you're a Blood Angels <laughs> player you're going to be very happy. Mm. about it mm. um like i said it's just a shame it wasn't for me it's just a shame it wasn't dante because yeah. i think he's the one i would have picked out the two but uh, it's still really good you know Look, it's still fantastic that they've updated him to be fair like lamartes and dante need new models astrath's probably fine um tycho's dead there's a lot of blood angel special <laughs> characters by the way um there is <laughs> But, like, yeah, I feel like yeah. Dante is the one that needs it the most. Um, but I'd say Lamartis yeah. and Sanguinor just need to be bigger and cooler looking, like, more in scale. Um, but I keep reiterating this. Games Workshop, don't miss this opportunity. Kill Dante. Put him in Dreadnought. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's what they do. Maybe that is the reason why we've not seen him, you know, over Mephiston. Who knows? Mm, who knows? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> But no, he looks very cool indeed. So, yep, he's up for pre-order very soon. 
Right, okay, let's switch universes. Let's well actually it's almost like a double switch to yeah. <laughs> talking about we're universes because also we're, we're, we're going over button. to the <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going over to uh, AOS now, but we're not really because really AOS side has been quite quiet. But then it sort of hasn't really because obviously they've effectively dropped a very large <laughs> news bomb on us uh, the other week. So basically, Warhammer: The o- Old World has been announced. Um, obviously, yep. they they showed off that cheeky square base uh, mm. you know, tease uh, the day before. Um, yep. Which I, you know, I think we were speculating, you know, all of us online going, right, what's this going to be? And and at the end of the day, you could tell it was going to be something big because even though yeah. it was also going to do with square bases, it was the fact they were drawing your attention to this is going to be on Warhammer, uh, yeah. uh, Warhammer Community at like half three or three o'clock it was. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, wow, they're actually bringing it to like an actual time as well rather than just mm. dropping an article like they often do, you know, obviously every day. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right, so what's your thoughts on this, Cameron? I'm pretty excited. I don't think I will ever play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm okay. really excited for what this could mean model-wise. Because the thing is, a whole bunch of the models that you would use for this have just kind of been shoved into a closet and disappeared. Like, a whole bunch of the old various elf units, various some free guilds and dwarf units and stuff, just with Cities of Sigma, have kaput, no longer produced. Um, I don't know if they're going to start production again. Or what I hope they will do is make new units to... Or, like, new kits, I should say, rather. uh, Because anything they make for that, I feel is probably going to be available as a kit for Cities of Sigma as well. And this is how they will, Mm. like, support it. They will say... I feel this is what the pitch was, is people in the studio really want it, classic fans really want it, and, get this, everyone loves Order. People love Order in Age of Sigmar, it's the favourite faction, it sells more than all the other factions combined. What if I told you we could convince people to get into this game by saying, any models you buy for it, you can just use in your Order armies. They're just Cities of Sigmar models as well. Mm. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, (laughs) So I feel that's what it's going to end up as like that'll be the selling point instead of like the cross system demon faction it'll be like the cross timeline um order and related factions is mostly what's going to push it but you never know they could bring back classic green skins and really like cool them up again and make them a little more unique mm. and marketable and then bring them back into age of sigmar as well and stuff like that like mm. there's so much stuff they can do with this uh, you can you can expand all the Darkling Covens slash Order Serpenta stuff by redoing Dark Elves entirely, and then bring that into uh, Age of Sigma by calling this, you know, the Darkling Alliances or whatever, and have all the Dark <laughs> Elf stuff together, and you know, get us a new Dreadlord on Dragon and new uh, like Foot Soldiers and stuff like that. Like the room for new kits and cool stuff here is really good. Um, Warhammer Fantasy books, like novels, were great. I love them. Uh, yeah, getting yeah. getting more room for authors to play in that world and bring new stories there. I still feel there's plenty that you can do with it. Awesome. Um, and I'm I'm happy to see people happy at this point. Like there's some people going, <laughs> huh, it's yeah. because Age of Sigma failed. I'm like, no, Age of Sigma was very successful. It actually almost caught up yeah. to 40k. They're doing this because they want mm. to and because they know people yeah. want it. And mm. is it is it weirding you out that they told us this essentially three years in advance 
Cause yeah, like, I they, mean... They, they did Sisters of Battle a year and a half ago. They said it might be coming mm. in 2019. And now they're going, it's not happening any time in the next two years, three years minimum. And I'm like, what the... Okay, sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, but it just shows, obviously, how much they've got to put out before it, so to speak. Mm. Because, again, like we like we said before, they, you know, they take years to get stuff out. And, you know, everything's... You know, the mm. stuff that's brand new to us has been in the works for, you know, for years. And, and, and it'd be interesting to see how far along they are with it. You know, mm. so, I mean, I mean, here's, here's my take on it, because like you, I'm very pleased for it. I mean, like I said, mm. um, it's so early to say what I think of it in the sense I, because we don't even know what it's going to be really. Like I said, they've not given mm. us really much information. Obviously they've given us the square base. Um, obviously, you know, like I said, mm. tease, you know, there's a good chance it'll be on square bases, but it may not be, you know, like I said, they've mm. not actually confirmed that. Um, we're presuming it's normal scale, but again, we don't know that, you know, is it going to be, is it going to be, you know, you know, you know, rank and file type game, or is it going to be more of a skirmish game? Mm. You know, not, I don't mean to the level of like Underworlds or, or, um, Warcry, but I meant, you know, is it going to be, or is it going to be the opposite? Is it going to be grand scale type, you know, battles where Mm. it's, you know, it's all about having, you know, because again, like if you, because obviously they made the comparison of 40k to obviously the heresy game, whereas obviously in heresy, you know, your average army is like 3,000, 4,000 points. You know, that's, yeah, that's a normal game. Yeah. So is it going to be like that? Mm. Again, we don't know. Um, obviously, when I say they do, I know obviously they're going, oh, it's, like I said, it's two, three years away. There's no way they don't know really what it's going to be. Like I said, I don't believe mm. this is something that they came up with 10 minutes ago. And I'm mm. just going, right, we're going to do yeah. the old world. This is, you know, they've been working on this for at least six months to a year, even to get yeah. to this point where they announce oh, yeah. it. You know, I said, like, they know the, you know, obviously they're still going to have mm. to spend the next few years, obviously thrashing out rules and stuff. I'm not saying they've got all that detail down to the, the you know, the, the letter, but don't mm. get me wrong. They, they, they know exactly what this is going to be. Like I said, they've got it already planned out and, you know, on on whiteboards and everything. This is already, mm. you know, it's just that they're just going to drip feed it to us, like they did, obviously with the with the sisters, which is great. I think that's yeah. a, that's a great way to do things. Um, it, again, I mean, this decision was always going to be polarizing, regardless. That's inevitable because at the end of the day, mm. you know, there's still people that are upset about the destruction of the old world and obviously mm. you know what now became aos and obviously some people are very happy about that because they were genuinely you know we were getting bored of the old world so and, you know and no one's right or wrong that's just different it's just your you know subjective mm. opinion on it but you know i think with this um i must admit i i i suppose i would be slightly a little bit more excited if they'd gone the age myth route to be honest mm. i think because that was an, yeah. another thing in the mix where they were suspecting that well, okay, you know, similar to like heresy is to obviously 40k, let's go back an era, but keep it in the AOS universe as opposed to the, yeah. the world it was. Um, let's keep it to the age of myth, which is obviously early days of AOS. And obviously it'd be still, mm. you know, you still have that crossover where there's obviously some races and units would be around, but then you could mm. introduce brand new ones that aren't around in current AOS, for example. But mm. obviously there must have been a reason for that. They they obviously didn't feel that was maybe strong enough, maybe, or maybe mm. it would make it a bit confusing. I don't know. Um, you know, they obviously yeah. they've got their reasons for doing this, for going back to the old world. They, mm. you know, they obviously, maybe they feel 
that similar to what you were just saying about the novels, um, maybe GW from a you know a rules and model perspective feel like they want to have another go at it. Maybe like yeah. in the sense that maybe they feel like there's stuff that they never got to do in Warhammer Fantasy before they killed it off, and now mm. this is like mm. an opportunity to do it to a degree. Yeah. Like oh, we always want to do that, but never had chance or you know mm. whatever, mm. and then like ah. Let's re- resurrect it. So they've obviously got some confidence in it because, oh, yeah. again, like we were saying yeah. a minute ago, they they don't want to. They're not the. They're not a place to do things, you know, without it being calculated. So obviously, mm. they've got a hunch that this will be successful to you know to in whatever that means. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's so hard to tell because obviously we just don't have any real information at this point. No, you know, to <laughs> to go off, but but. No, I th- I, I, I think out. it's great. I mean, mm. and I, I, I like we say any any new thing like this, I think is always fantastic. You know, mm. even mm. if it's not something you would be interested in personally, like you just said a minute ago, if it makes other people happy, then I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> the end of the yeah, day, exactly. You know. It doesn't ruin so, Age of Sigma for me. It's, no, Age of Sigma exactly. is still there. Yeah. Uh, speaking yeah. of and, which, hmm. there are some huge, some might say, giant plans for the model realms. <laughs> Warn you soon, but for now we have to keep it hish hish. I'm like, come on, you snuck this in at the end of an article about the old world. <laughs> giants, light elves, light giants, who knows? It's coming. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was reading some interesting, uh, you know, forum articles the, the other day mm. talking about the giants where the, I love this theory that, that they will do, you know, gargants as like the equivalent of 40k knights and or oh. chaos knights you know so you basically oh you can have literally like an army which is like three models i know you can mm. sort of almost have that with beast claw but that's different but you yeah know, where you have and i love that there was someone was coming up with a theory where you could have grand alliance gargants oh. so you have the order gargants you have the chaos gargants yes. the death ones the destruction and they're all aesthetically and obviously mm. rules wise all completely different as well yeah i yeah. love that idea i think uh, that would I, I could see it i could see it yeah, well, yeah. how popular knights are in in mm. 40k oh yeah you know where Absolutely. people go yeah like like well you know that yourself <laughs> you're building yeah, yeah and exactly. you know <laughs> where you know we got a situation where you go yeah i just want a couple of models and they're huge mm. and they're massive and and mm. you know and, and other armies have to find a way of you know dealing with them like again in 40k mm. people mm. have to find ways to deal with you know, high wounds and and tough, you know, mm. opponents, basically. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Man. I mean, I, just, I could be completely wrong, but that would oh, be great. Listen, if they come out with a Gargan kit that is, like, to the level of intricacy of the Imperial Knight kit, I think I will die. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just imagining it now, like, you know, legs and torso, fairly standard, but then, like, could have poseable arms, and you hide the joints with armor plates, obviously, and the armor plates mm-hmm. are dependent upon which faction you're part of. You have crude iron yeah. for destruction, you've got warped stuff for chaos, you've got bone armor for death, you've got, like, fluted plates for, like, order and stuff. Like, oh, you could do so much with it. I hope, Games <laughs> Work- I I hope, that's, I hope that's what it is, and if it's not, yeah. Games Workshop needs to start it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, That'd the thing cool. is, what you could what what you could do at the mo- moment is they could because obviously we know you obviously you can get the current Gargant kit at the moment is mm. we was, you know have them as the equivalent of Armagers or War Dogs you know mm. so they still have yeah. those and then have a new kit which is even bigger <laughs> you know, which would be the, the equivalent guys. of a knight. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> they'd be amazing. It really be, would. Um, yeah. I mean, my predict. I'm talking about the the Haish Haish part as well. I think. Mm. My prediction is, obviously, we know that 
obviously slaves starting us are getting their new battle tome mm. uh, next month. Um, and realistically, obviously you've got three, like we said before, there's three that are left, which is Seraphon, Zinch mm. and Caradron overlords as the, as in the ones that are still needing tome yeah. updates. I have a feeling they'll get those out of the way in the first mm. couple of months of next year. I, you could see Seraphon in, in um, sort of January, for example. And then obviously those rumors mm. of a, a Zinch, uh, and Carajon box in February, potentially. And then I think then we will see, you know, in that sort of, so around spring time, we will mm. see whatever this is going to be. We're going to finally see potentially the light elves and, or, or maybe mm. whatever this giant reference is as well. I think, because obviously in theory, like we said, covered last episode where what happens mm. after all the tomes are up to 2.0, well, yeah, what are they going to do? And obviously this could be it. I, we're going to see some new factions potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which hopefully. is always very exciting. Kenothi. <laughs> Bring it on. Kenothi, damn it. Well, or can it, yeah. That Separate as well. Separate them knows? from the Sylvanath. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, so, yeah. All very exciting. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, what, what we'll do is we'll just switch to the other parts of the news. Just wrap those up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about uh, the Black Library Weekender. This was the other week. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to go to these one once yeah. you know, in the future. Yeah. It would, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've got no excuses. Obviously, I'm only a few <laughs> hours away from it whenever it's on. But uh, yeah, we've seen some obviously uh, some new novels obviously shown off. Um, is there anything that's sort of caught your eye? Man, Flayer, stomp, stomp. Fabius <laughs> Fire lives. Stomp, stomp. I'm real. I'm so excited for this. I cannot mm. express how much I love the first two Fabius Fabius Bile books. And a new one coming. It's from obviously Josh Reynolds, the best author yep. in yep. Black Library. Yep. <laughs> I'm, mm, mm, am I excited for that? I mean, all the other stuff, very cool. Don't get me wrong, but that is mm-hmm. the standout star here. <laughs> yeah, I see. It's, it's funny you say that because that's how I felt. Because I must admit, you know, you're looking at these books, you're like, right, cool. Yeah, the next, you know, the next mm. few Caesar Terror books. Obviously, expecting those, and then you're like, you know, there's, you knew, we knew, we knew there was going to be. The uh, Lionel Johnson heresy, you know, own mm. heresy novel, which was sort of leaked the other week, you know, a few weeks ago, and you're like, oh great. And then I said, I, I think the, the the two books that were the most exciting for me was was Manflayer, the Fabius Bar book, because like you, mm. I love those books. I think they're so underrated. They oh, yeah. so go under the radar uh, compared to some of the other novels. And like like we say, definitely check them out. But also, I'm I know it, obviously I think it was shown off as a um, like a limited edition version, but I'm really looking forward to it. Darkness in the Blood, the the yes. you know, the, the sequel to yes. Devastation of Baal. I can't wait oh for God. that. That is yeah. getting bought whenever I can get my hands on it because <laughs> I can't wait to see how that unfolds. But no, mm. I mean, like you said, we're seeing some stuff that you expect. Obviously, there's the the next um, uh, what's it? The Watchers, uh, Watchers of the Throne book, which is the Regent's Shadow, which mm. will be awesome because the first one was awesome, and obviously they've shown off the the models that will uh, be part of that as well, which is what's um, Custodian Guard, Valerian, Sister of Science, uh, Alea. So that's all really exciting. Um, you know, Mark of Faith, you know, the new uh, yeah. upcoming Rachel Harrison uh, Sisters book. I I mean, mm. I, I must re- again, I've got a couple of her books now and I must read them because like I said, she is mm. getting a lot of praise. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, you know, how she is as a writer. Uh, so yeah. I said, a chance. So um, yeah, I think Mark of Faith because that's coming up mm. for that's already is up for pre-order. I think or coming up yes. for it, one of the two. 
So yes. that'll be good. Uh, yeah, I mean, mm. like I said, there's no real um, surprises, I'd say, but it's all good uh, stuff, I would I say. I mean, I'm a little surprised we're getting a book focused on Lady Alinda, uh, which is going to be Lady yeah. of Sorrows by C.L. Werner about someone trying to take out Lady Alinda, the Mortarka Grief. I'm actually also pretty interested <laughs> in that, honestly. I love me some Nightmare yeah. One. Um, mm-hmm. So if the, if if the Nighthaunt in that book are written to the level of the ones in Soul Wars, it's going to be a good book. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah great. <laughs> so yeah, that's all very exciting, and no doubt a few of these will be on covered on the show <laughs> mm. sometime next year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. Definitely. Right, okay. Oh yeah, it goes without saying. Um, right, so let's switch up to Underworld. So mm-hmm. Ripper Snarl, Snarl Fangs are, are they out, out? Are they up for? I believe they uh, are no, out, aren't today. they? Yeah, yeah. Or out this weekend. Which, yes, yeah, they're out mm. yesterday. So that's really cool. And obviously, mm. the Champions of Dread Fane box yep. is uh, there as well, which is basically the the two. Uh, Warbands from Dreadfane, obviously, yeah. which again is a a um, an exclusive one, or was an exclusive one, as again a part of the Barnes and Noble thing, like Combat mm. Arena, for example. Mm. So uh, yeah, so that's now an opportunity. Admittedly, I think so they're, they're looking at the models. They're ones like, for example, the Stormcast one is the like simple basically the Sequitur, yeah, easy to build kit, effectively, yeah. isn't it? They've reused models, yeah. which is yeah, fair enough. But yeah. if you want these warbands, I mean, it's you know, own- get them. I would say it's a little bit of an issue for the Nighthaunt one because it is four Mirmorn Banshees who look almost identical. Uh, but apart from that, they're cool. There's just, yeah. I, I'm not sure I would be able to match card to model easily uh, to play that band, but apparently they're, they're fun. They've got decent cards and stuff. So um, yeah, look, more, more war bands is I don't think ever going to be an issue. Uh, just more variety of play <laughs> uh, is going to be pretty cool. And there's a Christmas gift pack, which I think is like the 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 accessories. Basically, I think it's like the the mat, yeah, and the dice and stuff like that. So yeah, mm. yeah. So like I said yeah. again, another you know more stuff. I and mean, again, it's you know if you're a collector of these things, then you know you're probably going to want them to be honest. Mm. You know, in all honesty. Oh yeah. So so that's cool. Uh, right. Okay. And the last bit is we'll switch over to basically Forge World and mm. slash Horus Heresy. So mm. the Derodeo Dreadnought has got oh, some lovely oh, 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 oh. all the DACA <laughs> upgrades. Big, I love big these. Volkite <laughs> cannons. Mm. And then just missiles the size of a man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, so basically the, the, it's the Volkite Falconet battery and the uh, Boreas air defense missiles <laughs> that you can now get oh, for your Derrida. Oh, I love it. It a, looks so absurd, but it's great. Yeah, it looks fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Derrida is some of the silliest looking dreadnoughts, but I actually really love them. They look they yeah, look pretty great, honestly. Um, yeah. We're getting we're getting another Horus Heresy book. It's book nine. It's Crusade. <laughs> Which legions is this? Off the top of my head, I cannot remember. Is this? Uh, just I the think last this is two? Night Lords, Night Lords, and Dark Angels. I want to say. Oh, um, will we get the I, lion? Please. Well, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, he's very, very due now because obviously him and Khan are the Khan. Uh, the yeah. only two. You know, Primarchs that are left. Mm. Um, I mean, but yeah, I think you know. Oh my god! We'll see, right? 
Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, I've just checked. Yeah, Book Nine Crusade is basically, yeah, Dark Angels and Night Lords. It's around the okay. Thrasmas sector. So, cool. Yeah. Um, we, which is why why they're going to be start doing this, the Road to Thrasmas mm. uh, mm. uh, thing on, on the community site, basically. So, we'll start seeing cool. that uh, yeah. next year. Um, yeah. And also, lastly, what we're going to see next year is, or I'm presuming so, the way they, they've worded it, is that we're going to see the Angel's Tears, which mm. is this very odd-looking <laughs> unit yeah. for the Blood Angels. I don't know what I think about these. So these They're are very meant- strange. Yeah, so these are meant to be, like, the, the, the worst of the heresy weapon squad that every Legion has. Like, they have the guys that use the Phosphex grenades and the rad weaponry. Um, and these are the meant to be the Blood Angels version of that. But honestly, like I get why they are. They're called the Angels Tears, and Blood Angels love artifice, not as much in the Heresy, so there's not as much fancy trim, but there's symbology here, and the symbology is that their masks look terrifying, and they're very, like, thick-set and, like, doughy kind of warrior-looking dudes. Like, they are, <laughs> they're hefty, they've got these weird screaming masks, and all I can think, honestly, when I look at these, I'm like, oh, wonderful, a noise marine upgrade kit for 40k. Because um, <laughs> they got, like, that almost Vox grill, open, screaming-looking mouth. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I understand what you're going for. I'm not sure if it meshes properly with the rest of the mm. Blood Angels. But they're fine. They're yeah, space marines I mean, carrying grenade launchers. What what else do you want? Yeah, I, they're, they're just. Oh, I, I suppose it's one of those where I I don't know if I like or dislike them. They're sort of mm. a bit polarizing for me. I think they they just look. Um, I mean, like it's. I really like the the actual bodies on them. I think the armor's really cool. It's just the it's the the, mm. the helmets which look like noise marines. Um. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They're just odd <laughs> mm. i mean like i said i'm not i don't want to criticize them because they, they, they look like I said, the one with the grenade launcher looks awesome but yeah, yeah just yeah. i don't know just an odd choice of helmet i think that's all it just doesn't look very blood angels um maybe it's the way they painted it in yeah in the sort of yeah. silver i don't you know the chrome silver type thing i don't know i just yeah i don't know but yeah mm. just yeah <laughs> so but yeah they're like i said they're announced for to be out at some point next year because obviously they've announced that they're not going to do a horus heresy weekender mm. which obviously is you know raise alarm bells for you know for some people as well obviously but obviously yeah. they've justified it saying that they'd rather put the resources and time into you know making mm. models designing rules etc so yeah yeah watch watch this space <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, that's been all the news. Like I said, we've, mm. you know, it's not been a, a a lot, but we've had some very uh, you know big things dropped and a few controversial things as well. So it's always keeps it interesting. Mm. So we're going to take our next break now, and when we return, it's that time, everyone. We're going to be talking about the Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Yeah. <laughs> Back soon. Well, well, well. Here we are. It's finally that time. It's, it feels like a long time coming that finally mm. we're going to start doing and talking about the Ossiarch Bone Reapers from a law perspective. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we had this ready in our schedule for a while. It was just waiting mm. for the Battle to Tome to come out, waiting yeah. for a little AOS slot to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to happen. <laughs> and here we are. And I don't know about you, Cameron, yeah. but I'm very excited to be talking about the uh. Bone Reapers. 
because they're there awesome. Is, <laughs> yeah, there is so much good stuff in this book. I am actually really, really happy it came along. Like, I feel like a death faction is the easiest one to put into Age of Sigmar because you can literally mm-hmm. just go, and a gash made some more dudes. And that's <laughs> yeah, the end of it. Yeah. But yeah. these guys have a history, they have a culture, they have a social structure, they have all this care and effort put into them. And I'm not saying, like, other death releases haven't. Like, Nighthorn was mm. just as good and was possibly more momentous in why Nighthorn became a full army. Um, just because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that was the Necroquake was, like, leading into all these things. But, like, there's a lot of really good, juicy stuff in here. And these are undead with personality, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and with purpose as well. I think mm. it's it. Like I said, I think there. If you've not really seen the any of the lore, and hopefully now by us literally going through all the all the battle tome, we'll <laughs> be able to show you <laughs> why they're really cool. I think they you they are a bit underrated in the sense that I think you could just see them mm. like as, like you said, just another death army. They're just they've just been created by Nagash. The end, and there's actually a lot to them um like i said the way they're mm. constructed both physically but also the you know the makeup of their armies and their culture is actually a lot more to it than you know meets the eye so to speak so mm. Mm. yeah i i think you know i said take take a seat you know get your paintbrush get ready for this bone ridden ride that you're about to go on now <laughs> as we tell you all the lore to do with the bone reapers so yeah so fundamentally oh i've used the f word sorry fundamentally- oh. oh we got so far we got so far i know yeah but it's, it's an appropriate word sorry this is an in joke mm. um yeah. but yeah I, I yeah sorry i dropped the f-bomb fundamentally but it's a good word when you're talking about Oh, law yeah. in general, you know. So let's kick it off. Let's start with Reapers of the Dead. So the Bone Reapers are basically autonomous constructs fighting on, you know, effectively on multiple fronts um, with the whole purpose of rebuilding as they go. So get into a fight, conquer it. Obviously, you take losses, but what's cool, we'll build some more. Um, mm. So the other key thing to understand with them is that you know, like Cameron said about them having personalities that they, you know, they talk and they're an undead force that talk and bargain with others. They're not just, you know, like I said, just, mm. you know, mindless, you know, thralls just, you know, marching forward, uh, so to speak. So, you know, it will get to the point where they ask, na- ask nations for their tithe of bone, um, you know, all coming under Catacross, as who we'll talk about shortly, as the, you know, their main leader, basically. So they only ask for what, the place you know can give them so like i said they say they've taken over or conquered a nation um obviously they don't want to literally run it dry because you know once all mm. the bones gone then what's the point of that so so fun yeah oh, i was gonna use it again um <laughs> only, only ask for the you know what like i said what's given so obviously a village compared to a city is you know totally different so again with a the village they're only gonna ask for a little bit whereas a city they're gonna ask for a lot more because that makes a lot of sense so mm. It's not requested for the sake of it either. So Mortazans, um, which are basically like their sort of, I suppose their wizard, alchemist priest. type, priest type, yeah. you know, level of their of their faction. You know, they they're, they're mul- they have multiple uses, but yeah, that is that mm. sort of class of um, of character. Use the bone in a different way 
to just simply reanimating it. They reshape and forge the bone, basically using arcane means uh, to make it harder, but still with the, you know, with this sort of skull undead look that's associated mm. with Nagash. And that's a key thing to understand, actually, with the bone reapers. And, and also Nagash is that, that obviously he, you know, they're yet another army that he's created under his under his wing, but he still wants them to have similar looks to the rest of his forces. It's almost like he's trademarking mm. them. <laughs> like yeah. He's like, yeah, this is the, you know, like or franchising them. You know, like yes, mm. you you know, you can be in charge of them, Catacross, but they still have to look the way I want them to because I want yes. people to see that they're clearly part of my army, uh, which is <laughs> quite amusing in its own way. Uh, so oh, they take yeah. souls as well as bone. Uh, it's not, like I said, it's not just about the bones, but they they chop up the souls, basically put it into a blender and mm. tailor it to basically to fit the use of the you know the body construct that they made. These souls are basically raw materials. Uh, like for example, their cavalry could be a, a mix of like a hunter, a judge, a you know a soldier, mm. uh, to, and basically forms again going into this nagashing form in this what they call a necrotopia. You know, sort of this sort of all in one. Mm. Uh, sort of approach um if tithes are refused which sometimes happens enemies are destroyed with highly efficient military action because that's one of their sort of trademarks they march to war in regimented phalanxes taking orders basically knowing that their leaders know best i that's what i mean they do have some i said automation like the lower rank soldiers but ultimately they trust you know their generals and leaders basically regiments have their own styles of fighting but they mm. use all tactics with you know with like a with basically a precision you know it's not a horde mentality it's about you know like i said all about the precision side of things uh so basically the yeah. soldiers can be trusted to have you know some sort of thoughts uh to understand basically what their end goal is so they said right you know we're going to conquer this nation okay cool you know they know what's going on mm. um and be on their way to achieve it uh basically when the leaders return years later so if you imagine this army has been sent off right conquer that you know particular city the leaders come back and, and basically the leaders will come back to basically a display of bone which will be built uh, alongside the roads and basically bone will be leading along what they call the geomantic line which is basically decreed in what's called the principia necrotopia which we'll talk a bit later about um so basically to you know as you'd imagine them as a force the enemy you know to the enemies this army is you know the, the bone reapers are very unnerving they you know because basically they, they appear to have life and thought but they're still undead yeah. at the end of the day yeah. and so and you know and as part of that they have no care for the living and you know they still smell of the grave and they've got this real aura of magic around them basically in their numbers mm. they're ultimately terrifying as you would expect uh, doing what is necessary to achieve the goal with no thought of their mm. of their health or well-being because they just get you know rebuilt at the end of the day or, or you know or uh someone replaces them more to them basically mm. like for example their mortec guard which is their sort of you know main infantry unit will basically grind themselves to death no pun intended um to basically tie up the enemy um you know as ultimately it's all about the strategy you know it's all about right if this gets us the win that's what i'll do that's what we're you know what we're constructed yeah. to do <laughs> and they you know and and ultimately will come back as new con- like i said new constructs anyway uh, some of the units mm. and um, a lot of them they fight almost like veterans you know got that methodical never yeah. tiring you know locking shields together sort of you know sort of style basically um and this can obviously lead to you know forming around their leaders stand a bearer if needed and, and basically forming you know a you know fighting as one you know mentality basically mm. so mm. yeah that's like i said a little 
little intro (laughs) overview of them. So, uh, Cameron, tie the bones. Yeah, uh, it's uh, not quite the name of the box, but the art is for the Feast of Bones box here. Um, So, basically, Nagash does intend to ultimately kill all living things and repeal sentience from all creatures of the realms, which is just a great sentence. Um, um, (laughs) But it's it's efficient to have some free will, uh, and likewise... Uh, like, for now. You'll get rid of it eventually. And likewise, um, it's inefficient in the long term to kill all the living right now. Because, uh, you know, not only does he want to kill all living things and cleanse the realms of hateful life, he also wants to, like, build his utopia or his necrotopia. Um, and if he kills everyone all at once, he's not going to have enough materials because the realms are very, very big. And Nagash being Nagash has to make everything out of bone. Um, so much in the same manner that a cattle farmer does not simply kill all his cows and sell them at market at once. Nagash has instituted the tithe of bones. Um, so essentially, whenever they come across a new settlement, um, the Mordazans, again, that sort of priest, wizard, diplomat cast, um, usually accompanied by a liege cavalos, who is sort of like a cavalry commander, um, come up to the settlement and basically give their their terms, and as long as the settlement can give them enough bone at regular intervals, uh, the bone reapers will move on. Um, interestingly enough, uh, they want to be very, very exact about this. They, they don't want there to be mistakes. They want this arrangement to go as long as possible. Um, and so the Modazans have these things called archive phylacteries, uh, which they use to hold the souls of people who have cultural similarities to the people they're trying to talk to. Um, specifically so that they can learn local customs and languages. Um, so like the idea being like one of them is the soul mason, I believe is the unit type. And that Mordazan specific job is to mold souls together. And so they can use that guy's abilities to essentially suck up the soul of someone from that region and suddenly learn the language so they can lay out all the legal terms of the tithe, which is great. Um, and, and usually, obviously, these imprisoned souls are from a much earlier period of history from the region so they usually speak in like really old timey fashion which i think is hilarious like (laughs) um however um if they can't communicate properly that way like if it's been too long if they're speaking too old timey they will just kill one of the locals and use their soul to learn the current language which is (laughs) terrible (laughs) like you know you're going for negotiations and the skeleton just stabs johan in the chest pulls his soul out and sticks it in their leader and suddenly the leader starts talking just like johan does like oh yeah so we need some bones uh we need about this many etc etc and it this is still a negotiation obviously you can't just attack them because they just killed one person um however if you do attack them um basically the mortisan starts screaming until the rest of the legion attacks and completely destroys the settlement as essentially like a it's it's like a this is what happens. It's an example being made mm-hmm. to the local area of if you mess with us, we will just wipe you out. We'd prefer to let you live, um, which is you know very uh very uh kind of them. Mm. Um, and uh, realistically, there's a few ways to revive the tithe. Um, sometimes some townships practice a lottery where a certain proportion of people are killed as sacrifices every time at the same time every year to maintain the tithe. Others give up people have reached a certain age. Uh, in Akshi, certain human tribes uh, think that living four decades is long enough 
And after you get that, after you reach 40, basically, the next time the tithe comes around, you get killed for the tithe so that the younger people can grow up. Um, which I feel like that's the plot of a movie, if I don't remember <laughs> wrong. Um, uh, and in a lot of, a lot of places, actually, citizens tend to just surrender just a finger or a toe at a time. So like the entire village gives their right big toe. And because it's so many people, giving a small amount of bone that's enough for the tithe that year and you know the reason that like the mutilation is better than being massacred or sacrificing lives quote-unquote needlessly um but both sides know that this can't really last forever (laughs) uh this is something called the terminus concept which is basically the idea that this is going to end eventually and it's going to end badly for the living people um (laughs) the ossiarchs are precisely fashioned to end life they don't care about it and um basically the idea is if something's alive the osiarchs see it as brick and mortar and nothing else really like it's like you're negotiating with building products to eventually build a house instead of just taking some of the building products now (laughs) and building part of a house um they are they are the nadir of existence the blade that cuts the cord the rattling sigh of the final breath uh so essentially this puts the uh, the Ossiarchs as the true inhabitants of Shaish, the proper inheritors of the realm of endings. Um, they are sort of Nagash's idea of what Shaish should be made manifest. Uh, but they're not entirely without emotion, and they are not entirely, like, spared from the potential of human failure, uh, because even Nagash used to be a living, breathing man and can never truly escape his foibles and drives which he thinks he left behind. Uh, so they're not they're not flawless, but they're pretty damn close. Yep. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, happy days. Right. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on to well, the where they live and sort of the buildings and the empire as a whole. So this is the basically the Ossiarch mm. Necro. How do you how do you pronounce the 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 plural Necropolises? of Necropolises? Necrop. Yeah, I assume it's Necropolises. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not 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 Necropolisi <laughs> or. But yeah, so basically, <laughs> so basically, the empire is made of you know, just picture it, made of human remains uh, and stone buildings, effectively, um, mm. and you know, emanating with the the smell of death. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, it's mm. Nagash anyway. Um, so, like we mentioned <laughs> earlier, you got the the prince of here, um, Necrotopia, which is basically, I, I suppose, best way to look at it is like a blueprint of this is how yeah. Nagash wants the world to be mm. in his eyes mm. you know this is you know this is how he wants things to be so like oh, i said okay. earlier yeah. you know yeah. that's that's effectively what it is yeah i was you imagining what, more like the more like the codex studies for the bone reapers well, like this is how you do things yeah well yeah that's i suppose that's yeah what i was hinting at yeah it's it's like it is a i mean like i said for the for the the mortisans it is like a they use it to uh, you know, build basically a blueprint, mm. you know, for how they want, how Nagash wants the, basically his, his part of the realms to look, you know, so I, that's mm. how, why they build it in a certain way. So basically the, the bone is, you know, is for function and display. So basically, you know, these, the, each necropolis lo- ends up looking similar to each other. So that's what I was sort of saying yeah. earlier, where like you have this sort of franchise mentality where, you know, obviously you've got different parts of of the of the empire where obviously mortisans are, are you know for this particular bone reapers force and then there's mortisans over here for another bone reapers force and obviously they've got their own necropolis they will build it 
you know, like where like, you know, and this figure's not there, but like 70% the same as the other one, but they yeah. may do the other 30% yeah. with their own sort of approach to it, basically. Mm. Uh, again, it's all part of Nagash's vision and military, you know, in, in military reason, basically. So you've yeah. basically got the, also the tithe sites. I love these. So basically these are, <laughs> so once they've sort of taken over an area, they set up these, these tithe sites. Um, and basically it's, it's, it's sort of twofold, really. One, in one sense, it's for, you know, so basically they've agreed to tithe with, you know, a nearby, you know, nation or wherever they've just mm. taken over. It's the place where people come and leave the bones. You know, it's basically yeah. where you can come along yeah. with your sack of bones and go, yeah, just leave it over there. You know, so, you know, when we go to a charity <laughs> shop and you give them a bag of charity <laughs> stuff and they're like, yeah, just leave it over there. We'll put it away. It's basically like that. Um, so they'll, they'll, you know, that's where you can leave it. Uh, or it's often used as a meeting point to discuss the tithe mm. as well. Mm. So, so it's quite, I suppose that's where, again, it, why it's twofold, because obviously, you know, the representatives of that nation will meet with the bone reapers and the bone reapers go, right, this is the tithe. This is what you're agreeing to. By the way, just there over on my right, that's where you're going to be putting the bone. Oh, okay. That's yeah. handy. Um, very convenient. <laughs> and also convi- talking to convenience, it's protect- it's protected by a magic field, basically. So okay. people can't, you know, uh, so, you know, people or other factions just can't come along and, and steal mm. it. Effectively, yeah, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, so next, so you know, again, that's one of the first things they'll set up after they've you know set up the, the uh, the, this part of the necropolis. Uh, so they will next do basically they'll look for sort of basically any terrain that they can defend. Um, and this will then become keeps for larger forts, and then basically the Mortan workshops will be built after that as well. So they've got like such mm. things like they've got a brazier which basically stores the energy of the souls, like in it basically like in an infinite sort of prisons really so they can pluck souls out as and when they need them yeah, uh, yeah. after that more buildings are built uh, so you've got like walls l- l- you know l- you know labs and forges you know all the things you'd expect to see uh, basically with the harvesters which we'll talk about later bringing the mm. bone in to uh, to help with that yeah and then then once they sort of feel like they're that bit has come to an end they basically start building up rather than out so mm. you'll see slight things such as like huge Mortark statues looming over the, the, the various sites. There's, you know, some of the larger sites have like a permanent garrison and they'll have Mortisan uh, laboratories uh, purpose built for learning. Because again, that's something they're not just about taking bone. It's also about, you know, improving and, and, and such like. So they mm. have like libraries of books, which are, uh, and it's noted that they're, they've got human skin feathered quills to, to write yeah, in, which is yeah. lovely. Um, and <laughs> this is a bit I like as well. They're basically looked after by uh, bibliopomps. Okay. <laughs> bibliopomps are basically these bone stalk bird type creatures that basically yeah. fetch the books for the mortisan. So they'll point up and then like, this bird will just <laughs> go and fetch the book for them. Bibliopomp. Mm. That's such a great name. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Obviously, I take it it's referring to biblioteca, as in a, yeah, as in yeah. a, you know, reference to a library um, with a yeah. history of uh, like different treaties. So basically, rebels can be dealt with. So again, when they're dealing with rebels in general, they will go back through their history and go, ah, right, how did we deal with that nation? Ah, that's how we dealt mm-hmm. with them, and and basically, you know, to educate themselves to deal with the situation a bit better mm. also the the roads are purpose-built so like i said to follow these geomantic lines of powers which are basically these sort of it's like a network of cracks mm. uh, like lines 
on a as it's compared to like a human skull basically mm. empowering the marching army with like a basically invisible power of and, and magic uh, again as decreed mm. by, by nagash that's something he wanted yeah. and and basically they will build things like citadels and such like if basically the road leads to like hitting the coast for example they'll build a set at citadel mm. and then obviously branch off from it um yeah. talking of you know sort of the uh the water side of things they can basically raise great navies they've got boats that basically use the same mm. process for building bones uh the mm. bone shapers which again part of the, the mortisan class will basically create huge like these huge pontoon type things linked by magic uh compared yeah. again to like a vertebrae on a spine uh, and basically mm. a ritual is used when they reach another underworld because effectively they're using this to navigate to different underworlds they can basically yeah. turn this this pontoon into a permanent crossing point basically a bridge Ah. um Mm. so if the so basically if the weather is rough when they're crossing the bridges because obviously that happens the um they can basically the uh the mortisans will meld the feet of the bone reapers to the bridge so basically (laughs) lock them in place so i while the the storm Mm. passes um and to the point they will even use the bones of sea creatures nearby if they're you know, they're getting short of bone. They're thinking, oh, we need a bit more mm. for this bridge. All right, they'll just grab some bone from that uh, that big, huge whale over yeah. there <laughs> if needed. So <laughs> that's all very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they do all these wonderful, cool, creative um, building things. And really, they learned it from someone very special. They learned it from Nagash. I learned it from <laughs> you, Father. Um <laughs> Uh, so Nagash has sort of been around for a long time. Uh, who'd, have, who'd have thunk? Um, he's actually, <laughs> he's not the oldest character in Age of Sigma, uh, but he's one of the oldest characters in Age of Sigma. Um, and part of that great age is he is the most patient of the gods in Age of Sigma. Uh, you know, everyone else is sort of plotting away against each other in the moment, and Nagash is thinking a thousand years ahead at a time. Um, For example, the construction of the Great Black Pyramid uh, took quite a while and was in the works basically since he first came to Shaish, apparently. Um, Basically, all the while while through the Realm Gate Wars, uh, Nagash sort of laid the groundwork for this massive spell. We all know what it is. It's the Great Black Pyramid. It's that inverted floating pyramid that's tunneling into the middle of Shaish to draw the death magic into the middle. Um, we, we know all about that. Um, but basically, while the materials for that were being gathered, Nagash was busy. Because remember, it took over a thousand years to get all the bits of grave sand because you could only carry a single grain at a time. Um, while, while that was busy uh, going on under the view of Arkhan, Nagash was busy building all the bone reapers. Um, and basically he had built many previously during the Age of Chaos um, and had basically buried them deep underground all throughout the realms. Um, you know, he kept them in places like the Heliocarnum in Akshi, the Ebon Citadel in Ossia, which was, um, a region in Shaish, obviously, hence the name Ossia. Um, and <laughs> essentially he forged these warriors and engines of wars purely for conquest, made them from necromantic bone, gave them weapons that tear souls from bodies because they are animated by souls. Um, and the most interesting part of a bone reaper's construction is the soul trap gem on its uh, usually on its chest which is uh grave sand that's been melted into glass in the shape of a gem and is filled with bits of hundreds of different souls uh to 
basically form the perfect complete soul for that particular task. Uh, so, for example, like, Nagash wants valor, skill, and knowledge because he wants these ruthless, efficient soldiers, but he doesn't want, like, empathy or sympathy or love or anything like that. So all the bits of the soul that pertain to that, he throws away and replaces it with more bits for, like, martial combat and hatred and stuff like that and things he can use in an army. Um, and the only way to truly destroy an Ossiark Bone Reaper is to smash that, that gem, uh, which is pretty difficult to do because they are basically clumps of concentrated necromancy. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile, while he was building this region, this legion, not this region, uh, this legion, Nagash was also wondering, uh, who should lead it? Because Archon was too important for all his magic stuff he had going on. He was busy overseeing the construction of the pyramid. Uh, Neferata and Manfred were decent strategists, but they were really into intrigue and politics and weren't able to focus purely on, like, the battle aspect of any battle. They had to think about, like, what they could do to influence enemy politics and stuff like that. He doesn't want that. He wants a solid battlefield commander. And unfortunately for Nagash, the only being that had ever earned, like, his respect as a battlefield commander had been destroyed in the age of, uh, ages past. It doesn't say which particular age, presumably, uh, during the age of chaos or early in the age of Sigma, um, by, by Sigma himself. Like, Sigma had come and killed the being that Nagash considered to be his greatest general. But that's what Nagash thought. In truth, uh, we come to forbidden power. It was all, it was all for something. Um, the storm vaults. Essentially, uh, Sigmar hadn't been able to kill this great general and instead had defeated him and locked him away in a storm vault hidden by a penumbral engine. Uh, however, when, um, when the necroquake happened and disturbed all the penumbral engines, uh, suddenly near the Lake Lethus, hidden in a storm vault, uh, could be sensed the lingering spirit of Catacross, Mortark of the Necropolis, the greatest and most feared battlefield commander that ever bestrode the realms. Uh, he'd been a prodigy even in his mortal life, and when Nagash offered him the gift of immortality, Catacross went, yes, I can become an even better general. <laughs> uh, and, uh, essentially, uh, Nagash thought Sigma had destroyed him, uh, when Nagash refused to aid him against the armies of chaos, but instead he'd been imprisoned here. Uh, and so Lady Olinda got to go break open the vault in Lethus and recover him. Uh, despite valiant efforts to defend the storm vault there, uh, Lady Olinda managed to beat the Celestant Prime in a fight, which awesome, love that, uh, and <laughs> open, open the Midnight Tomb, releasing the raging soul of Catacross, which flew back into Nagashazar, just destroying everything in its wake. Uh, where he was given command of the Ossiark Bone Reapers so he, he could get his revenge on Sigma. Um, mm. And I I just want to mention the art on this page because it's talking about how everything is eventually drawn to Nagashazar and it's showing Nagash as this enormous, like, tree kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it is ridiculous and I love... I love this play on, like, Nagash has all these different forms. He's not just what the model looks like. Like, he has mm. avatars throughout Shaiish. Yeah. So I just thought that was a very cool bit of art. You should look at it when you get the book, because you should get this book. Um. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right. Well, let's talk about said Mortark and leader and see mm. how he 
got to be <laughs> where he was. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so basically coming from the age of myth, uh, Orphean Catacross has basically become, under Nagash, has basically become a demigod. Uh, but let's, let's, let's talk about, like I said, his history. So back in the day, he joined the, the Fleisch Echelon in Ger. Uh, Fleisch, that's um, that mm. flesh in German, I think. Yes. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong on that. Um, but he basically, yeah, he joined the echelon, uh, basically to achieve greatness. Again, a key thing to know with Catacross, he, he hates mm. weakness and, and anything like that. And, and, you know, obviously he wasn't particularly liked for it because obviously he was confident, arrogant and all the things that you would associate with that. But, you know, basically his purpose was to gain power to basically push these ideals obviously on the people or around him. So like I said, he was arrogant and confident. He had no mercy, no compassion, uh, you know, which led to him beating others in duels purposely just mm. to look for weakness and prove weakness in, you know, his fellow uh, soldiers, basically. Um, but when he wasn't doing things like that, he was pouring through the tomes full of, you know, tactics and, le- you know, literally he was, you know, learning as much as he could, uh, again, to achieve, you know, the ideals he was uh, basically seeking. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he, again, one thing he was trying to do is basically defeat em- enemies to, to prove his destiny. Because obviously in his head, he's like, I'm going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, mm. I'm going to eradicate weakness and, and everything like that. Um, so, you know, as he was going throughout the different ranks, he led the, you know, the elites of the, uh, Fleisch Echelon to basically take on the all herd of Garrett Coast, which is a, you know, a beastman army. Uh, he basically, you know, again, apart from, you know, using tactics, he basically used the wind and direction of the nearby birds to basically fire catapults to burn mm. the lairs of the beastmen, uh, to bring, to basically, you know, ba- bring them out. Uh, and then in turn, yeah. he charged them with his chariots good tactic um which unfortunately didn't for him didn't end well because basically he became isolated with a a gorgon and he obviously fought this gorgon but he ended Mm. up getting literally ripped apart by said gorgon uh but he did he did manage to stab it in the heart at the same time but you know it still led to his death ultimately Mm. so you know many moons later he basically wakes up in osea uh, which is basically the what you could would consider like a mirror underworld to Fleisch mm. up above, uh, basically where the, you know it's basically this place where the people can still communicate with the living. So the, you know mm. they've got this sort of weird dynamic where they, like I said, they you know both both top and bottom can um, sort of like I said communicate with each other. Feels a bit like Shadespire mm. in a weird way. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so basically you know for contentment as well. Um, so basically you have Necross to the north, which is another area which basically for the for the Fleischians is basically the place where you're rewarded with luxury so another place you could be mm. um obviously catacross hated the you know the the <laughs> difference between them you know because obviously it's just no <laughs> i'm not all about this um and and obviously his prerogative was still to fight on because obviously at this point he's basically a specter now um so he mm. basically joins the ossean echelon um, under the the guidance of the what they call the graven tutors, uh, where you know it's all about military hard work and which obviously he's all about. Uh, with Catacross basically 
you know, it's funny, there's a situation where the Graven tutors basically are reminded of Nagash through Catagross. They can sort of see very, mm. you know, small similarities between them. Uh, so as you'd yeah. imagine, he rises through the ranks. He's, you know, he's not, but the key thing to understand at this point is he's not obsessed with the thrill of the kill. Um, that's mm. not, you know, he's not like, you know, corn and, uh, soldiers and things <laughs> like that. It, it's about the logic behind the warfare. You know, the killing is a means to mm. the end and obviously to win in said fight or yeah. the war that you're part of um basically becomes the high general you know after excelling mm. as you would imagine uh he basically develops such tactics and formations such as the ossian shield the uh, aegis Im- immortal and the catacrosian death glaive lovely love that formation mm. Mm. my personal favorite <laughs> um <laughs> providing basically like flexibility uh and Basically, at this point, he's always watching the battle with his trusted, you know, seconds in commands, you know, above mm. the battlefield. Again, he's, you know, he's sort of almost backing away from the fighting element, but more about the, you know, overseeing the tactics and, and how the mm. battle's coming across. Uh, but, you know, don't get, it, don't get it wrong. You know, if his, his people around him, you know, crossed him, no mercy would be given. Uh, mm. so, you know, leading on from there, you've got the, basically the wrath of the gods. So basically, Nagash uh, is, you know, as we know in the in the past, uh, is freed by Sigma, and uh, obviously part of this, Nagash basically wants to take over Osea and Necros um, as part of Shaiish, uh, because even though they don't really worship him, he's like, no, this is my sort of thing. You know, I want to take over the whole Shaiish. I want all the the underworlds mm. to myself because um, I'm Nagash. So <laughs> Nagash basically sends hordes of uh, Bone Rattle and other such like, um, sorry, not Bone Rattle, Death Rattle, um, and such like to take on the, you know, these areas. The Basically, obviously, as you imagine, the Ossian echelon uh, starts defending the area. They defend both at, as Necros as, has no army either. So basically, they end up defending sort of both areas. Um, and obviously, this, you know, in, in Nagash's eyes, then he would or or where his eyes should be i should say <laughs> and <laughs> basically you know get this sort of situation gets brought to his attention because obviously from his eyes he sent all his death rattle like yeah we'll take over the area but obviously he wasn't expecting such sort of tough resistance and obviously it brings you know things yeah. to his attention so at this point catacross you know basically approaches nagash because you know even though catacross obviously doesn't want to admit it he realizes that he's they're going to lose you know the gash, yeah. they're fighting the gash they're fighting the hordes isn't they're not going to win so he basically takes sort of destiny into his own into his own hands really like i said he approaches the gash and basically bargains for that you know he'll devote himself to the gash and in turn and, and in turn lead the elite armies of the gash um mm. and and the gash goes you know after much pondering goes yeah okay that sounds a good deal mm. to me you sound like you know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. <laughs> um, mm. So the spectre of Catacross basically gets put into the black fires and the gash and, and comes out a completely new being, i.e. the being that we see now. Uh, basically, mm. and off the back of that, and the gash basically creates the, or starts, you know, creating the bone reapers. Um, and it whilst he's busy doing the, you know, creating the bone reapers, Catacross basically starts conquering all the different underworlds to obviously bring them all under the rule of Nagash. Uh, in turn, Sigmar attacks Nagash for, because, you know, obviously from past history, obviously when Chaos turn up and Archeon turns up, obviously Nagash is only really caring about defending Shaiish, which obviously annoys Sigmar. So basically, Catacross uh, basically ends up meeting, you know, Sigmar himself, um, but unfortunately loses to Sigmar, as you would imagine. 
Um, mm. Gal Morales doesn't fully destroy him because you nope. know he can't, it can't. Um, and <laughs> as we were just sort of just, just talking about a minute ago, he basically he's locked away in the storm vault under Lake Lethis, and obviously to be finally freed by Lady Yolanda uh, at the dawn of the Arcanum Optima. So mm. that is a history yeah. of uh, Mister Countercross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and then he is reborn anew. Um, so yeah, Lady Olinda releases him, and his soul goes screaming back to Nagash's Isle. Uh, literally, it, even in this form, he's powerful, uh, and it's like a massive hurricane devastating the realm of death as he essentially soars across it and destroys anything that gets in his way until he gets back to Nagash's Um And Nagash is very happy to see him back, uh, and essentially reforges him. Uh, like, he's literally mirroring the process that Sigma uses to create Stormcast Eternals, because we know Nagash has learned that process, uh, through the Soul Wars book. Um, and essentially he is taking Catacross as he was, and then refining him. He's narrowing down his focus even further, making sure he keeps every nuance of tactical genius every and has every single memory of his fight with sig with his fight with sigma like he memorizes the the god king's war form he knows every hammer every hammer hit every like lightning blast everything um and then he's born anew um lady olinda's handmaidens gift him with a glaive called indakat and the shield of mortis uh and arkan the black himself enchants his armor and raiments and then, you know, Catacross steps forward whole once more uh, and gets his old title, The Undefeated, back. Uh, like, the Bone Reapers there is like, oh, it's Catacross, The Undefeated again. Yay, <laughs> hooray for Catacross. Uh, and Catacross accepts it on a technicality because he has just been entirely remade. So it's like, technically, in this form, I haven't been defeated yet, and I never will. Um, <laughs> uh, and at this point, all the, uh, Catacrosian legions, all the Ossiak Bone Reapers are unearthed and quickly, uh, begin their conquest. They start with Shaish. Uh, Catacross is pretty eager to sort of put a challenge up against the Stormcast Eternals, uh, sort of seeing them as Sigmar's greatest bastion of influence in Shaish. Uh, and in particular, he goes headhunting for certain members of the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, uh, because he remembers some of them as warlords from Shaish in the Age of Myth that he knew. Um, and they've gotten this sort of, this sickly, cheating form of immortality, or so he thinks. And so he goes out and hunts down the chamber of Thanis Greygorn and puts them all to the sword by trapping them in a river um, and killing them himself. Like, he's he's out, he's out for blood, he's out for revenge, he hates Sigma. He hates these old people that Sigma, that he knew that Sigma has sort of brought forward into the new age as well. Um, then he's like, well, there's also all this chaos around. Uh, I was, I was out for that bit. I knew the age of chaos was a thing, but then halfway through it, I got hit in the head with a hammer. Uh, so we've got to get rid of the chaos and essentially get back the old Ossian Empire. Uh, so he summons the Petrifex Elite, which are like the nomadic Ossiarch Legion that um, focus mostly on cavalry. Uh, and while they're busy um, making their way to him, he basically does a pincer maneuver on an entire continent. Um, he sends his arch cavalier Santos to one side, and then he goes to the other side, and they walk to meet in the middle, effectively, surrounding this corn-worshipping host. Uh, and then the Petrifex Elite come down from the north and destroy them entirely. Um, 
Vok Morshan, uh, his, uh, one of his Mortisan underlings, uh, finds himself, uh, in possession of a lot of bone, uh, after killing a whole bunch of upstart ogres in the Feast of Bones box set, um, and essentially began this war of attrition against local beastmen. Um, this is the, this is the fun bit. Uh, there is a, there is a mountain range called Strangler's Peaks that is inhabited by, I quote, chaos worshipping Dwarden. They're real. <laughs> Chaos dwarves <laughs> exist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and the Null Myriad, the Ossiarch Bone Reapers made from grave sand skeletons, are the ones sent here to essentially flush these dwarves out because uh, these these Chaos dwarves are conjuring lava flows, but because it's magic and this is the Null Myriad, it sort of just flows off of them like water. Uh, and meanwhile... While the Null Myriad is being a distraction, uh, the Mortisans had sent some harvesters into the Ares of several Godrine rocks, which are presumably like our version of the rock, which is uh, not not Dwayne Johnson, I mean the mythical creature, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is an enormous bird big enough to carry off an elephant. Um, and so the harvesters go harvest bones from these birds' lairs, build a bunch of Morgast harbingers and uh, sepulchral stalkers, and use them to essentially get inside the Dwarven Fortress from above, which is awesome. Um, in Equis, Maine, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, uh, the Staliarch Lords, which are again another cavalry-focused uh, legion, burst from barrows and ride across uh, to essentially take out corn worshippers. Uh, they use artillery support with Mortec crawlers to essentially surround them. And then uh, the few of them who made their way to fortresses are attacked by legions of crematorians, uh, which are the sort of suicide bomber Ossiarchs. Uh, they are they, they explode with fire when they die. Um, and basically this went on and on until the entire Ossiarch empire had been reconquered. reconquered. Catacross had got his pride back and he had several hundred thousand corpses worth of bones to fuel further expansion. Uh, so they're off to a pretty good start. Nice, cool. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the timeline of all the mm. different ages as well. Let's give a a very quick summary of uh, yes. how things yes. went down. <laughs> so let's start mm. with the age of myth. So that kicked off obviously with the coming of Nagash. Obviously, he mm-hmm. took over Shaiish, uh as because he basically believed it was his and obviously mm-hmm. as part of that he consumed or the plan is to consume all other death gods around so he is number one and only death god mm. at this point uh mm-hmm. you've got the azurite city so basically many cities after this were built uh quickly via sort of dwardin or a combination of dwardin and and skeletons uh at this point uh nagash is secretly carving out the uh the catacombs Mm-hmm. Uh, then after this Unlife in the Dark you've basically got uh, the uh, well he's basically starting the Bone Reapers project if you want to call it that in his mm-hmm. uh, very dark <laughs> lab so dark that literally you can't see um, uh, this basically leads to senior necromancers dying as part of this process mm-hmm. but obviously these basically become infused with bone and basically form the first Mortisans um, yeah. and obviously they really at this point don't have any free will but obviously are put on to work as you know and build on with the mm-hmm. uh, the bone reapers uh you then got the tribes of shaish uh, basically the tribes thrive in shaish whether you're living or dead um so mm-hmm. you've um, at this point um morton morton uh assassin xantos uh vows to kill all interlopers 
Uh, you've got the fall of Catacross, uh, which, as we know, he gets killed basically by a Gorgon, <laughs> in summary. Um, and then you've got basically as in life, in death. So Catacross, uh, Spectre, rises through the ranks, keeping an eye on the Necross defences, as I said a minute ago. You've got the conquest of the Innerlands. So Chaos attacks the prime Innerlands, which we'll touch upon later. Uh, Catacross uh, basically drives the Skaven in uh, Cadavaris back. He basically breaks the Dark Oath tribes in, in Nightfire Spine. And Catacross is, you know, slowly gaining reputation by liberating mm. these various areas. Uh, you've got victory no matter the cost. So uh, tribes from uh, a combination of uh, Mortaven, Halost and Cadavaris basically form an alliance because basically they've lost their independence. So Catacross is basically a way dealing with the horse tribes. Uh, so his spy master birds uh, send him a message. Uh, he then in turn responds with orders um, and would be, and basically said, you know, anyone that doesn't would be enslaved or exhumed if they defied my orders. Uh, so the mm-hmm. uh, student becomes the master. So basically Graven, the uh, Graven tutors use tactics to defend against the, you know, these tactics to use against tribes, but are losing numbers with, you know, as Catacross is still away dealing with the horse tribes. Uh, you know, things are looking bleak, things are looking bad. Uh, but then on the 12th week, it sounds like, something, it sounds like out of, uh, was it? <laughs> Lord of the Rings, two two towers. Mm, mm, um, yeah. <laughs> Catacross uh, returns like like Gandalf. Um, no, Catacross <laughs> returns with uh, the <laughs> Chris Main uh, horsemen and basically uses them to beat back the uh, these uh, this alliance that's uh, formed between the tribes. Basically, beats them back with with only a single surviving Graven tutor left, which is lucky because then they can debrief Catacross and what happened mm. and went down before. Uh, he then in turn banishes this remaining tutor. Uh, and then he also in turn gets rid of and crumbles the Ossian, uh, you know, autocracy uh, outside of the echelon. Uh, it's basically a military coup and mm. be- basically becomes ruler naming them the Ossiarchs. Um, some say that he deliberately did created this situation to force this coup, but you know, just a rumor, Gav. Um, so the first fall of Osea, uh, Nagash basically throws, as we know, throws hordes at Osea and Necross, uh, obviously gaining the attention from the uh, number of attackers that end up getting slain. Uh, Nagash takes over the army uh, to, to, you know, basically to force Catacross to concede, as, as I said earlier. Uh, a fateful treaty. Catacross basically uh, realises defeat, would rather fight for Nagash rather than against. Uh, and this is quite an amusing thing is, like, no, it's not just the conversation. Basically, Nagash has to pour over the documents for, you know, a, a little while, you know, mm-hmm. you know, sign the, uh, sign on the dotted line, you know, terms and conditions <laughs> and all that. But finally he says, yes, you know, and decides, yes, Catacross, you're going to be my new general. Um, and as we know from the making of a Mortar, Catacross basically gets turned into a, basically a 12-foot bone statue and he's now the Mortark of the uh, Necropolis is his, uh, his official title um, and so I said given Indicart the uh, you know and the wind the uh, shield of Mortis as well so yeah mm. that's basically what went down in the age of myth but what yeah. went on in the age of chaos Cameron well uh, the taint of chaos began to affect the model realms who could have guessed uh, so the <laughs> realm gates across Shai sort of begin spinning out legions of demons uh, plague fleets of Nurgle sail from the maelstrom gates of the Black Nile, the Seymour, and the Greedmouth. Uh, essentially, they're, they're like, there's a lot of graves here. We can use those rotting corpses. Uh, because they're Nurgle, obviously. Uh, but Ossia <laughs> is, uh, is pretty militarily prepared. Uh, however, Necros to the north is still not very well prepared comparatively. 
Um, but Catacross basically defends the coast of Ossia with catapults and siege engines, uh, occupies Necros forcibly, and swiftly sort of defends it as well, uh, sort of basically cementing his control of the entire prime innerlands from East Talos all the way to Echis. Echis? Equis? I can never pronounce that. Um, <coughs> uh, and the armies of Chaos continue to hit Shaish hard. Uh, Catacross's cliff-mounted artillery uh, does a lot of damage to the Plague Fleet, but the Plague Fleet is protected by Nurgle and is obscured by green-gray fo- fog. Um, and a new disease is unleashed, which is the Bone Plague, which infects your marrow and causes crippling pain to your limbs and chest. It sounds awful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and uh, there are further horrors and diseases. One of them is the Geistbane Mist, which is an airborne pox that infects ectoplasm and can cause ghosts to essentially discorporate into a stinking cloud of nothingness. Um, so, you know, like spirit hosts, other various other forms of nighthorn, they are all like susceptible to this disease, which is crazy to think of. Um, you know, the Nurgle's out here making diseases to kill ghosts. Pretty awesome. Um, and you know, the legions of Nagash are fighting against the combined forces of Korn and Nurgle at this point. And Nagash is uh, pretty aghast to discover that Chaos has been corrupting the corners of the Realm of Death for far longer than he suspected. Halost is filled with corn worshippers. Satyr's End harbors Selenesh cults. Uh, Athanasia, the Amethyst Prince, Princeps, and Stigix are heavily under attack. Uh, and these are like the areas Nagash considers like sacred. Um, there's a mastermind behind the invasion, and it is Archaeon the Everchosen. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Who would have um, guessed? <laughs> yeah, and who would have guessed, indeed. Uh, and Nagash goes in person to uh, try and essentially eject Archeon from Shaish and is defeated. He's a forced, he's forced to cede Nagash's art and flees to Stigix. Um, Shaish is not the only place being invaded by Archeon. Archeon's invading the entire model realms at once. Uh, and Sigma, held in hammer, looks to Nagash for aid, um, and Nagash never arrives uh, because he's busy reforming his entire body but sigma sees this as a deep betrayal uh, and so this is what breaks the pantheon of order well not pantheon specifically of order but pantheon of the gods uh, in the age of chaos mm-hmm. um and sigma is so so pissed off he's very po'd uh he actually goes to the realm of death searching all the underworlds for nagash uh and he just can't find him um but eventually he comes to the Prime Inner Lands and Catacross tries to stop him. Uh, and, you know, thousands of the Ossiarch Echelon are destroyed by Sigma and Catacross engages him in a personal duel uh, because his secret weapon here is Indicat, his glaive, can actually potentially kill gods. Uh, mm. Nagash enchanted it to do that and actually used Warpstone to make it, just like the sword that actually killed Nagash back in the mm. Warhammer Old World. Um and Catacross fights him on the shores of Lake Lethus and slowly wears Sigma down, but as the duel goes on, Sigma gets angrier and angrier and angrier until he finally outmatches him, um, and Catacross is beaten down and locked away in the Midnight Tomb. Uh, Sigma, at this point, realizes he can't win the war against Chaos without the whole pantheon altogether, including Nagash, and so he retreats to the Realm of Heavens, closes the Gate of Azir, um, Nagash is hiding away in Stigix, uh, so Shaish and indeed the rest of the realms fall to chaos. Um, 
At which point we come to the Age of Sigmar after a few hundred mm. years of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. Um, the Stormcast Eternals are revealed and Nagash has all his horrible paranoias proved right. He has been stealing souls. He's been doing my stuff. Um, however, uh, not not too long after, Archon completes his great work to build the Black Pyramid for Nagash. Uh, and the Necroquake happens. Uh, after which, Catacross is freed. He is reborn, uh, and they basically reform the Ossian Empire, and the Ossiarch legions are free to uh, go wherever they so wish. Um, essentially, they they attack a lot of the Order strongholds, but also uh, Gur is invaded by the Ivory Host. Uh, in particular, Greenskin tribes are being targeted there, uh, and the End Gate is breached by a sudden assault because Catacross himself has gone to the Eight Points to kick Archeon's ass. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. <laughs> cool. Right. Okay. Let's move on to the lands of Dust and Bone. So we'll actually talk about the uh, Ossiarch Empire itself. So basically mm-hmm. the Ossiarch Empire is the Shaishan underworlds east of the prime inner lands, basically where the invasions begin via a network of realm gates on both land and mm-hmm. sea so they've basically expanded their empire around the shaishan adir which we know obviously from the uh, necroquake so basically they've formed the so they've gone around the edges of it basically um being originally sculpted on the ossian and necros border basically so in in, in essence they protect this area but also use it to draw the amethyst magic from this area because yeah. obviously they're very close to nadir um so this basically all that you know each necropolis you know is basically being brought up to help fortify the area because obviously you know they are defending it as well as going out to uh, to conquer as well so you know from a marching to war perspective they basically take paths that exploit magical undercurrents that's those mm. sort of geomantic mm. lines that are mentioned earlier so they yeah they exploit these undercurrents rather than taking the easy route <laughs> so to speak so they, this ends up that you know there where they end up crossing mountains and boiling seeds and you know ultimately yeah. it's down again to the will and the gash he'd rather they exploit these like i said these un- magical undercurrents than like i said take the you know the the easy way to their whatever route they're trying to go to basically mm-hmm. and like i said if you ever see, you know when you if you do actually look at the book you have a lovely map of the area and it mm. looks great because yeah. you get to see places like Greedmouth, the portal yeah. to the beast of the realm of beasts is extensively fortified by the ivory host so again we'll talk about the the uh the different legions later so yeah that's uh yeah. that's basically awesome. the the empire yeah uh, so, uh, just as important as the actual physical layout of the Empire is its hierarchical structure. Society works only if we all agree that it works. Um, and if <laughs> Nagash is in charge, you have to agree. Um, so, uh, it's a bit of a pyramid scheme. Ha <laughs> um, There's a lot of, there's a lot of people on the bottom and, uh, you can't actually ever climb up from your caste that you're born into, or in this case, molded into. Uh, but there are several castes. The highest one is the Mortark caste. Uh, interestingly enough, Catacross is the only one that actually wears the cartouche that uh, symbolizes being a Mortark. Archon the Black predates Ossian symbology by thousands and thousands of years. Um, and he, as well as Neferata and Manfred, are too proud to wear the icon that is technically the icon of, like, another Mortark. So even though they're <laughs> technically being given these badges that have the Mortark symbol on them, they don't want to wear them. Uh, 
Uh, beneath the Mortarchs, you have the Emissarian case, uh, cast, who are the sort of the religious order devoted to glorifying Nagash and pursuing the perfection of Osiarch magic. Uh, Archon rules over these, and they are considered equals to another important cast, the Panoptic cast, who oversee the legions and wage war. Um, so this is interesting, because uh, in the Emissarian cast, you've got things like Mordazan Soul Masons and Soul Reapers and Vok Morshan. And in the Panoptic cast, you have um, Panoptic, Panop, yeah, Panoptic cast. You've got a uh, Liege Cavalos and the Arch Cavalos Santos. But I also have some <laughs> other things here that we've not seen and could be future releases. So we have the Liege Mortec, which sounds like an artillery commander with the Mortec crawler, and the Liege Immortis, uh, who sounds like a uh, Mortis guard. So the um, hmm. guys with forearms, shields, and halberds. Um, you got Hecatoia unit leaders and Prime Hecatoia. I'm not sure if we actually have any of those either, so that could also be like no, I don't think so. infantry no, I think, thing. No, I think we just have the normal Hecatoia, I think. Yeah, yeah, so we have some uh we have some interesting possibly future expansions here. Ooh. Um Yeah, yeah. Uh and then the casts below are the Priad cast, uh who are sort of the regiments created for specific roles. So these are things like Morgas Harbingers, Necropolis Stalkers, Mortec Crawlers, all that kind of stuff. Um, let's see. The, the, yeah, Priad cast. Then we have the Thorak cast, which are the greater military body. So they're things like Mortec Guard, the people who wave the flags around, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> retainers and Servants are known as the Mornial cast. Uh, and then... Missing one. There we go. And then the Ossifact cast are physical constructors. So, like, the Soul Masons and Soul Reapers are emissarians because they're magical and they're mm -hmm. pursuing soul magic. But the uh, Mortisan Bone Shaper and the Gothazar Harvesters are Ossifacts because they deal with the physical bodies. So you've got this split where the soul is more important because you have to refine it and split different souls and stuff like that. And then the people who do the body are less important, but they're still very important, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, and there is one final cast, which is the para, um, which is very similar to pariah because it's you, you pissed off Nagash or someone above you so much that you were create, you had a new body created to for you just so they could kick you out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and, uh, that, that is a, a very much a final, uh, a final, uh, dealing with a problem, uh, element kind of thing, because normally you can just be demoted a cast and given a new body fitting to your new position or mm -hmm. have your soul soul uh, cut up and blended with those of a horse to form a new steed for the Cavalos, um, <laughs> which uh, it says a lot that being kicked out of the cast is considered worse than being turned into a horse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's uh that's their general societal organization. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, now we know their structure. Let's talk about the various legions themselves. There's six of them. So let's start with the, the Mortis Praetorians. So these are also known as the Necrotopian Guard, the 10,000 mm. Cohorts, or the Catacroy. So this is basically Catacross's legion, yeah. as you would imagine by the name. So, yep, yeah, that's his legion himself. They're as 
as again as you'd expect they're the most efficient and the fat one of the fastest armies basically since the age of myth he's you know he uses they use his core tactics and belief as they obviously they're integrated into his soldiers with the added flavor of of his uh of his favorite generals so basically mm. they've got a process called spiritual distillation this is basically when Nagash basically made him a lord. you know um when Nagash made him a lord they basically tore out the souls of his various generals um made basically made the mortons break them down into the to basically each piece of his favorite cohort so mm. um which is just awesome um so <laughs> like i said they're known as the category or the ten thousand cohorts um they always have these numbers basically by slaughtering the enemy and basically using the bones there and then to make new warriors so re- replacements are again literally made almost straight away so when the new and then what's really cool when the new unit basically comes into the place of the old one so you imagine it's getting like you know a soldier falls near the front line obviously one's being made mm. further back then basically when they you know when they come to the place of where the old one basically fell um basically mm. soul reapers which is another one of the units will basically infuse them so you know, and fuse them together and obviously continue what that previous one was doing, basically. <laughs> so they're always fighting at full strength, which is obviously mm. efficient and scary at the same time. Um, yeah. But also, <laughs> but, you know, when they're not fighting, they will use their downtime to maintain the glory of Nagash by basically oh. building military and civil settlements as well. So, you know, they're not Ooh. just, you know, just fighting. They're also, uh, you know, doing a bit of building on the side as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the so, Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our next legion is the Petrifex Elite. They are also known as the Bleak Exhumers, the Stone Colossi, or the Archaeosians. Um, so these are um, interesting because their difference to the other legions is very much physical because the other legions are made of, like, a uh, normal bone. Uh, the Petrifex Elite, as their name might imply are made of petrified bone they're made of fossils rather than fresh bone uh so they are very very tough uh but also because because they use this very specific building material that's harder to work with and harder to find uh they do not create construct or reshape any of the lands they conquer they only slay their enemies then pillage ancient bone from nearby sites then create more of themselves, then move on and do it again. They're sort of this nomadic roaming legion that doesn't ever set down those fortresses from the uh, Principia Necrotopia. Um, in the, it is rumored that there used to only be 20 of them, uh, most of them the same Mordazans that still rule the legion today. Uh, and in the Age of Myth, they were given a single-sentence command by Nagash uh, that none of the other legions know what it is, but it's something terrible, um, and they continue to work towards that goal. Uh, the leaders are a coven of Mordazans who have basically come together to form what's called the Necrosian Cabal, uh, who eschew individuality. Uh, the Grand Necromystic is the most senior of them, uh, and he believes, or they believe, I should say, I don't know if you have gender as an Ossiarch Bone Reaper, um, they believe that personal identity is a distraction. It's a suboptimal use of the resources allocated to them. And so <laughs> all the leaders of the Petrifex elite are only known by their titles. So, for example, the Thrice Sculptor is famed for the quality of, necrop- of gleaming necropolis stalkers he makes from ancient nobles and then covers them in jewellery, uh, while the Bone Goliaths are a group of necropolis stalkers made by someone known as the Sinistral Master, 
uh, are known for their dark coloration, which allows them to stand in shadows in the extra, <laughs> in like the extrapolated path, pretending to be statues. And when an army marches between them, they can cut the entire force down in a single blow without losing a single Ossiarch Bone Reaper. So they're pretty rad. Yeah. Kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rad, but a little bit creepy. <laughs> mm, mm. So, uh, right, we'll move on to the next one, which is the uh, Stoliarch uh, Lords, uh, also known as the Once Noble, the Merciless Riders, or the Equimortal, more toy. Um, so as you imagine, these are the uh, the riders of uh, of the Bone Reapers. So mm-hmm. they're from Macquarie's Maine, uh, warriors of great honour, as you'd expect. So they basically known for riding down their enemies, being the most important troops that they're considered, because uh, obviously one of their main tasks is also hunting down fresh bone for their armies. Mm-hmm. So this, <laughs> because they're obviously getting fresh bone and constructing from it they they they're known to have this sort of fresh pinkish hue with blood spatters because literally yeah. they just take you know if you imagine they're just taking fresh bone the marrow and all that sort of stuff and it's like yeah just just using it there and then so one thing they're also known for is that basically if their laws are broken they will hunt down their enemies like a butcher and it's meat um which can then lead to basically this ritual of re-sculpting the fallen to you know to sort of in you know damn them internally um mm. uh, again another thing they're known for is they basically give a challenge to their enemies uh which is basically in the dead and they do it in the dead of night obviously um <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically yeah. they're given a they give their enemies a day to provide the bone that they require, um, which is generally of a very obscene amount, uh, or uh, what they could also ask for in 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 return is they could say, uh, "Can you give us a history of your lineage with bone information as well, please? Mm-hmm. All fully documented, please." Uh, or another alternative for this challenge is they may say, "Right, you got to beat a liege cavalos in combat." Uh, so again, all all three, you know, these three, you know, potential scenarios are all, like I said, very hard to uh, fulfill. So mm-hmm. obviously, if they do fulfill, you know, if the enemies do fulfill this, you know, they will honour this, uh, and mm-hmm. the legion will literally ride on and go, "Yep, yeah, you did what we said." Yeah. So see you later. Uh, if not, then the enemies are literally seen to be lower than beasts. And they will literally massacre them <laughs> uh, yeah. for failing and this challenge because obviously they're just not noble enough. So yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> fun, fun <laughs> lot <of> those. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we come along to another fun lot. It's the Ivory Host, known as the Gur Tamers, the Scrimshawed Legion, or the Teratomortoi. God, that's a name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the, these guys march in tight lockstep from their bone galleons with banners held proudly up like they appear to be the epitome of righteousness in death. They take pride in their skills as artisans as well as warriors. They make these really beautiful and strangely beautiful things. They fastidiously clean themselves in their armor and burnish and polish themselves to a sheen. Uh, some of them spend days on end inscribing their own bones with designs or runic script from the Principia Necrotopia. Uh, and so people see them and go, oh, these guys are really civilized. They are like the paragons of Shaishian civilization. Um, however, uh, they're not that because their one job is to conquer Gur. Um, this was, uh, this was a dictate given to the monarch of Tusks, who used to be known as Gurik Tsar, the Drake Slayer Queen, and she's the leader of this legion. Um, and she's basically bent every iota of her obsessive nature towards this. Um, 
the reason this legion is a little off is they create themselves from the bones of the monstrous creatures of Gur. They're made from tusks and bones, processed and reshaped, and when a great beast is slain and the land's about pacified to the edge of a Naderite blade, they build a great necropolis on the side of the victory, covering it with the fur and skin of the of the big fuck-off beastie they killed, essentially, <laughs> uh, to show that military order and skill surpass the strength of even the fiercest behemoth. However, uh, they use beast bone, and they coat their own phylacteries in amberstone, which is the realm stone of Gur, which means that every single one of these guys is constantly on the edge of madness. Uh, and should anything happen to crack their polished bones, the bestial en- energy within them bursts out, and they go into a berserker rage, uh, which spreads throughout all the nearby ivory host bone reapers. And they slash, bite, and scream like rabid lunatics as they massacre their foes. Um, <laughs> and their excuse is, uh, their, they, their excuse for this is, well, we have a string of victories over the predatory beasts of Gur, and we've learned that without that inner ferocity, we'd instead have a bunch of defeats. Uh, but all of them know that they have, at least in some respect, been conquered by Gur already. <laughs> love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. <clears throat> pretty radical. right so yeah <laughs> right so let's move on to the null myriad so these are the the legion uh inomical um the magic eaters the mortoy auroris so these are the basically the, the anti-magic <laughs> mm. uh, legion so rumors say that basically they could navigate through the realm of chaos and come out uh you know intact effectively because due to their anti-magic nature because uh, basically they're infused with shaishan magic uh to basically go you know to take out these areas so they're they're fundamentally be, being given uh, this magic infused in them so they can go to areas where magic, mm. you know, to be magic resistant so they can conquer particular areas that, you know, that, that they, these would work best in. Um, they were a Nagash experiment back in the Asian myth where basically it came to once they were created, like predatory spells would literally give them a wide berth, graveyards would awake near them, uh, but were, but, you know, they were basically put on hold at this point, but they ended up being reborn after the Necroquake as they basically needed a new purpose because obviously there's so much magic around <laughs> now. Uh, so mm. they were basically exiled to the what's known as the Perimeter uh, Animacal, which is was basically not to upset the 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 pantheon of of the uh, the gods of order. Uh, they resisted uh, and hardened to the magical hurricanes that were out there. So they were out there uh, in a, literally put into a storm. Uh, also, in turn, they were basically forcing back the forces of chaos because again they were you know heavily resistant in this area which basically uh led to arcan's death rattle to basically begin gathering grave sand for the pyramid because obviously the you know the null mirror had to clear the area so they can get on obviously it's to start building the black pyramid itself at this point agreement an agreement was made between arcan and catacross to basically saying arcan will say right if you give if i give you my uh, death rattle skeletons in exchange for an alliance and and obviously that was what was agreed and basically now the the legion's main focus is to go out and take the surrounding perimeters where obviously as we know in the realms magic is at its strongest around the around the edges so yeah. very cool yeah. have a real purpose mm. and our uh, our final legion is the crematorians known as the levelers of cities the wrath of nagash incarnate and the igni mortoi 
Um, so, you know, just like in naval warfare, you load up a ship with oil and set it on fire and just drive it into an enemy ship. Uh, the crematoriums are that, but for infantry-based battles. Um, basically, whenever you get close to one of these guys, the Nagash's anger is imbued to them, and it's so intense that it feels like a crackling, hideous heat. Um, and around them, even stone and metal blackens and turns to ash. Uh, they are the statement of Nakash's anger against the living and his pitiless will given form. Uh, even if you manage to defeat one, it can blow itself up <laughs> to take you with it. Um, and they are, again, unique amongst the various Oxyarch legions that they are not made to persist. They, their rank and file troops usually only last a few weeks at most. Uh, and on the attack, they just act as a frenzied horde uh, that runs forward towards the enemy, uh, hoping to get close enough before they're killed. Um, essentially, uh, once they've burned everything down in an inferno, the remainders sift, sift through the ashen fingers, uh, ashen cinders, ashen fingers, ashen cinders that are left, uh, and <laughs> pluck out the remaining phylacteries and splinters of bone from the previous wave, uh, take it back to the mortisons so it can be rebuilt into a new crematorium again. Um, and honestly, their leaders are not okay with this. Um, they are, they are pretty concerned about the fact that their legion is seen as disposable. Uh, they were shaped with enough care to make sure they'll last many centuries without burning out. Uh, but they've made pacts with each other to repair themselves as they, um, as they sort of age. So you've got different bone shapers basically having checkups with each other every few years <laughs> to, you know, make sure they're not about to explode. Um, their field commander is named Ignopatris Zaranos, and he goes further. Uh, whenever his, the crematorians under his direct command attack, he forbids them to destroy any of the libraries or storehouses of magic items until he scoured them for knowledge that could preserve his legion from the balefire inside them. As of yet, he hasn't found anything, uh, but nothing he would reveal to Catacross or the other Mortarchs. But uh, because the Necroquake shows that Nagash's magic is not always infallible, um, he actually has a bit of hope that one day he might save his legion from their fate of being blown up, which is actually kind of sad. And it's kind of sweet almost. Yeah. Mm. How touching. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Right. Okay. So we're on to the last bit now, which is basically all the different you know, characters and, and units now. So we'll do a, a, a try and do a quick wrap up of these because we're running out of time. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So that let's start with time. the big, yeah, <laughs> as always. <laughs> so let's start with the, uh, the big boy himself and the gash, as we all know and love as the, you know, obviously known as the, <laughs> the king and master <laughs> of the undead. Uh, he's known for obviously leading the bone reapers who obviously can't resist his call like the rest of the undead because they're no different ultimately. Mm. So, you know, tyrants resist, but as we know, he's always got a bit of a grudge. So, you know, tyrants resisted him in the past, you know, insults are never forgotten and always punished. So <laughs> obviously, you know, enemies struggle dealing with the gash, obviously, because ultimately they're in, pres- in the presence of a god. He's unstoppable. You know, arrows and blades are flicking from uh, uh, Morakan, Morakane, I should say, which is his armor. Mm-hmm. So you've also got, obviously, what he's very known for as well, his nine books, the nine books of the gash, yep. which basically are a collection of tomes from the past, making him arguably 
you know, the greatest sorcerer, or he would probably say that, a greatest sorcerer, mm-hmm. um, you know, so much so <laughs> that uh, as a necromancer, you know, literally flesh turns to, you know, to dust in a touch. Uh, as, you know, he's also known for, he loves to use magic on, particularly on barbarians because of their, their status, basically. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's not always using magic. Sometimes he'll use uh, Alec, Alec Nash's staff of power and obviously Zephet Nebtar, which is also known as the Mortis Blade. Uh, the staff pr- primarily is used to drain, you know, the souls with, you know, because it's infused with Shaish Realm Stone. Uh, and the sword can cut a drake in half. So supposedly he says. <laughs> so that's uh, Nagash. Yeah. Mm. Uh, then we come to another, not technically Bone Reaper, but part of the book for reasons. Uh, it's Archon the Black, who is the greatest Nagash student and maybe the only creature Nagash trusts? Question mark as far as he trusts <laughs> anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he's actually a native of Nagash's original homeland. Uh, but he takes great care to hide this from basically everyone because knowledge is power and Archon is obsessed with both. Uh, <laughs> he has he has an unshakable devotion for which Nagash has blessed him with unique powers and responsibilities. Uh, and he's really one of the very few beings that can understand or even glimpse the scale of Nagash's true ambitions. Um, in particular, he was part of the crusade to create the Great Black Pyramid. Uh, he sent forth what are known as the Black Disciples, his personal council of necromancers, uh, to basically get all those skeletons out to the edge of Shaish and come back one grain of sand at a time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the vast majority of those Black Disciples were gathered together and then slain, rendered down, and used to animate uh, Mortazans in the Null Myriad Legion, uh, because that was Archon's reward for that. It was he was given control of the Null Myriad as opposed to Catacross. Um, he is the basically the second greatest master of death magic, it's next to Nagash, obviously, uh, and he rides upon the Dread Abyssal Razorak, Doom of Traitors. Um, he has Kenashan, the Staff of Spirits, which can cause enemy warriors to age hundreds of years in an instant. Uh, he can summon Amethyst Shard Blizzards, he can use Balefire, and he feeds on the souls of the defeated, because of course he does, to knit himself back together. Um, and essentially, he does it all for Nagash, because one day Nagash <laughs> is going to kill everyone, and when he does, Arkan's going to be there to say, good job, boss. Yeah, yeah, well done. <laughs> Here's a high five. <laughs> so let's move on to obviously another Mortark Catacross. Uh, so the Immortal Strategist is probably he's known for. So he enters basically enters battle with a, a regal pomp. Uh, not not trusting steeds, obviously, because we know as we know he you know ended up getting killed you know by a charity uh, charity a chariot charge that went wrong. So he's not mm. you know he's not really a fan of riding. He rather go with his minions, um, surveying the <laughs> battlefield with his advisors, like he did in life. You know, he's, he's effectively done that in death as well. Uh, as I said earlier, he's not concerned with combat as much now. He's basically his Catacrosian army is his weapons now, uh, basically using his strategy and guidance to instill his will over them. Uh, used the, mm-hmm. obviously the time that he was trapped in the storm vault under Lake Lethis to hone his tactics because, you know, he had plenty of time to, to dwell on things. Um, as you know from the photos and, and obviously the model itself, he's got an entourage with him. So you've got basically yeah. the, the liege. Ah, so yeah, sorry. Now, now this makes sense because yeah, the liege immortal, immortis is actually there oh. with him. You know, you, yeah, okay. sorry. I've, yeah. I've, you know, we were talking about the, uh, <laughs> 
the uh, yeah, yeah. the the way they're set up. So yeah, so yeah, he's part of there. So he's the Immortus Guard champion who acts as a bodyguard basically. And okay. then you got the you got the uh, the Prime Necroforest, who's basically the sacred mm-hmm. banner bearer. Um, which is made of, uh, which has got basically a black capstone in the banner, which basically can put the the voice of Catacross in the minds of his of his armies. A, he's known for waging multiple wars at, at once. Uh, he uses his uh, Aviarch spy masters as messengers to coordinate them, drawing up contracts of surrender uh, whilst they're still beating them. I love that he's still beating an <laughs> army. He's already getting the contract ready, uh, and basically, and also the tithe as well. And he uses basically the the gnosis uh scroll bearers to do this which again are, are part of his entourage uh, i mean ultimately you know summarize him to you know he's the perfect general to nagash um and will subjugate as will him to crush enemies too so again that's a key thing as well it's not all about killing it's mm-hmm. about uh you know inflicting you know inflicting your will upon them as well so that's mm-hmm. cross yeah uh then we have another special character it's arch cavalos xanthos uh, who is known as the Darklands and is sort of the leader of all leaders for the cavalry division. Um, in his mortal life, he, he had a very interesting profession. He was an assassin mortician, uh, who he killed people for money. Uh, and instead of just leaving them dead in the road, he would then give them an honorable burial, including like a full, like, uh, preservation, including removing their organs, stitching them clothes, doing their makeup to make them look presentable, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, when he died and woke up in the underworld of Ossia, he found it uh, much to his liking. He really liked the neatness, sterility, and quiet of it all. Um, and then Sigmar decided that people should settle all the realms, and so there were, like, living people around, and Xantos really, really hated that uh, and killed every living person who came into Ossia uh, <laughs> one by one. Uh, and eventually Catacross rose to prominence there and made a bargain with him. Uh so this began as a desire for order and peace, uh, but Catacross gave him an artifact called the Dark Lance, which focuses the intent of whomever wields it, reinforcing their conviction with each life it takes so its wielder, wielder can remain free from human emotions like angst and doubt. Uh, so in Xantos' hands, it intensified his wish for the peace and quiet of death to rule over all, uh, on ahead of putting things in its right place. So now he doesn't bury the dead anymore, he just kills them and basically... Burying the bodies is a problem for someone else. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> cool. Right. Uh, let's move on to one of the other special characters, Vok Morshan, the master of the bone tithe. Uh, I quite, mm-hmm. I really like this character. He's cool. So basically, he's the organizer and the envoy of the bone tithe in general. So basically, he's been given power by Nagash personally to crush enemies for denying the tithe so he's basically the the fixer <laughs> goes in and yeah. sorts them out um to the point where he will wipe out empires if needed if that's the way things have gone so basically <laughs> this is what happens he basically turns up to a city with a you know an entourage of elite troops he basically reads out mm. the, the decree of nagash that's what if you look at his model that's what he's carrying um and yep. basically um if they refuse the decree of nagash he basically wipes them out and takes their bones. Um, hence why he's carrying those severed heads with him. It's to, you know, say, look, I mean what I say. 
Um, also, what's quite cool, Nagash can basically channel himself via Vok Motion's chest. You know, so if you see that glowing chest on his model again, and in the photos, that's actually Nagash coming through him, literally, uh, to obviously to help, you know, strike some fear into their enemies as well. To obviously, again, just to reinforce that this is one of Nagash's, you know, boys doing his work on his behalf. Um, and this actually can lead to life stealing if needed. So he's got those powers as well. Um, and basically, Vok Motion uses can use the degree of Nagash to basically was it bring other undead lords under his command. So he's pretty untouchable, you know, you know, not literally, but he, you know, he's he's pretty high up in the pecking order. You know, he he's got a lot of he's got a lot of weight to him, <laughs> so to speak. So that's him. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, then we have the Lords of Bone and Conquest, which sort of is the rest of the command structure. So first we have Liege Cavaloi, who are, like I said, the sort of cavalry commanders. Um, they're basically Ossiarch heroes con- uh, comprised of souls uh, that inspire loyalty and devotion in masses of followers. Uh, their duty is pretty simple. It's to ride down and kill anyone who would escape the tithe. Um you know, if, if this requires just crushing a single town, it might only take one day. Should it in- involve suppressing or slaughtering an entire nation, their sort of tactical genius and uh, capabilities come to the fore, and they prove themselves as these very capable commanders. Indeed, it's rumoured if they were commanded to destroy an entire species, they could achieve it by de- charge by devastating charge, as long as they had enough mortisans to rebuild their legions each day. Uh, they sort of exist to be weapons in the hands of their superiors and work towards their goals ceaselessly. Uh, every spear thrust and sword blow is no more remarkable than the act of drawing breath to a living soul. Um, so they're pretty radical. <laughs> uh, and then we have our three special types of modizans. Uh, so bone shapers are the sort of very delicate craftsmen, uh, many coming from Anadiria, which is an underworld for creative souls whose paradise, whose idea of paradise is practicing art for its own sake. Uh, Nagash gives them that opportunity as a bone shaper. Uh, they get to create beautiful, beautiful statuesque bone reapers for the rest of eternity. Uh, they can create a sing- they can create a bone reaper construct in minutes by stripping bone into these great peeling loops and then reconstituting it into flexible yet strong osiarch bone. Uh, they can repair damage much more faster. Uh, it can take a single femur to re-knit a shattered ribcage or reattach a severed arm. And they hang out pretty closely with the Gothazar harvesters. Uh, while they're not in battle, they spend their time creating the vast fortresses that the osiarchs raised for the glory of Nagash. And this lets them revel in something approaching true creativity as they tend to outdo each other in the splendor of their work. Uh, so they're, they're cool. They're, they're the art students. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we come to the Mordazan Soul Reapers. Uh, so of the, Mord- of the three types of Mordazan, these are the only ones that can't create. They can only destroy. Um, they are considered the least of the Mordazans for this and uh, have been looked down upon by the Soul Masons and Bone Shapers. Uh, the very first of their kind was a life witch named Tomar Ventarkef, who, when she was reincarnated as a soul reaper and learned that she could not bring life uh, to the Osiarchs, screamed so loudly that the shade glass windows of Nagash's sanctum fractured, and he's never forgotten the slight of this. Um, <laughs> insult Nagash by saying, my job's not good enough. Um, so their job is to tear the souls out of enemies and capture them for later processing. Uh, but this is, uh, this is a risky thing. Uh, the soul reaper Tuogref was once possessed by the soul of a powerful elven mage he intended to harvest, 
and battled a stream of devastating spells that destroyed his own legion, and ever since then, then Soul Reapers have been fashioned without mouths, so that they can't encant spells at all. Um, and in combat they use scythes to essentially cut people in half, and at the same time pull the soul out of the body into a flask. Uh, they're pretty cool. I like the idea that they don't get to have mouths because they might get possessed by the souls they're trying to capture. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have the soul masons. They're the ones who evaluate uh, and apportion the souls of the dead and filtering them into phylacteries to form animating spirits for the rest of the Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Um, so these guys are sort of the spiritual heart of the Ossiarch Legion that keep everything functioning. Uh, they have the authority as to which spirits are used to replenish the ranks, and the final arbiters on how the souls are best repurposed for Nagashazar. Uh, they usually take the best part of a spirit and then render the rest in sort of general nourishment for the ranks, sort of just energy to keep them going. Uh, they appear to move slowly and deliberately because they have to concentrate a lot, uh, especially mid-combat when there's souls screaming around everywhere. Uh, and they can't let any of it escape because it will turn into a geist destined to haunt the local area. Um, sort of out of tradition, they go to war on these bipedal walking thrones, uh, that are similar to ones that once lined the hall in Gothazar. Um, these, these sort of, as, as the soul mason themselves is concentrating and stuff, the throne just runs around kicking people who get in the way. Um, but they're so well balanced that even as it kicks down a fortress gate, soul mason is left completely level and still so that it can concentrate on its soul-like alchemies. Uh, and that's them. Cool. Very cool indeed. Right, so we'll move on to a couple of the, the units as well. So we'll talk about the, the Mortec Guards and the then on turn the uh, the Morgas. So the Mortec Guard basically are, I don't know, a walking grave from the Bone Tide. That's one way to look at them. They're basically a, a combo of souls and personalities uh, fighting as they see fit or taking orders from the Hecatos, which is like their sort of sergeant type thing. Uh, basically, they're built to fight and, and the thoughts around it. So basically, to they basically to carry on if their leaders are killed. So that's why, again, they do have some autonomy um, to be self-controlled and ultimately still to uh, adhere to the word of Nagash. So they're armed with... Um, Naderite weapons that basically never break, uh, just like their will, and is imbued with soul-eating magic. So basically the main use of the Mortec Guard is to defend leaders, um, to be the, you know, sort of being the, ma the main battle line, to otherwise, you know, slow down the war effort of the uh, of their enemies, uh, forming shield walls, you know, to protect them. So that's, you know, their basic use. Uh, moving on to Morgas, these were basically created to uh, parody angels to in turn <laughs> strike fear <laughs> against the enemy, uh, created in a similar fashion to the Bone Reaper, hence why they've sort of jumped over and are in a Bone Reaper force, even though really they're part of like the Legions of Nagash. So their rib cages are infused with the skulls of wizards, which is awesome, uh, mm. to draw upon energy. Uh, it's rumoured that the Bone Reapers shown, were, uh, were shown how to build them due to the increased numbers that are shown around in the mortal realms. So basically, they've mm. in turn, they've been given the blueprint. So here you go. We, we trust you. You can <laughs> you can build some of these Morgasts. Uh, they come in two kinds. You've got the Archai, um, or Archai. Um, they're basically the bodyguards for, the, for champions uh, using their... 
their armor to deflect blows uh they're basically silently observing whoever they're looking after because (laughs) they can be basically used by nagash to turn on them if they're needed so if they're looking after someone and they piss off Mm. nagash then the the uh they'll yeah kill kill whoever they're looking after the other side is the harbingers which are basically used to destroy uh and terrorize the enemy to show enemies that you know nagash is all um, basically they, they're armed with the spirit halberd or dual swords. Just basically like to strike fear over the battlefield, taking delight in the terror they cause. <laughs> so yeah, that's Morgast. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then we come to the Kavalos Death Riders, the heavy cavalry of the Ossiak Bone Reapers. Uh, these guys are never seen in times of peace. Uh, they are basically, if you see them, you're already dead because their primary role is to chase down those who flee the tithe. Um, and they they uh, sometimes enjoy giving you a head start because they know that you have to stop to eat, sleep, uh, go to the bathroom. They do not. Um, <laughs> they will find you as certain as death itself. Uh, in the Shaiish Interlands, uh, to say that one, quote, runs from the Death Rider is to admit to pursuing a task doomed to inevitable failure. Um, which is interesting. Uh, they use specially crafted carison bo- birds uh, to... Carison? Carrion birds. Thank you, friend. <laughs> Uh, to track the soul spore of their foe. So they're literally following, like, the scent of your soul. Uh, you know, they ride day and night without pause uh, and then break into a full gallop only when you are in sight. Uh, and the creatures that carry them are just as uh, just as important as the riders, obviously. Uh, they are composites formed from the skeletons and souls of many different creatures. Uh, they incorporate such things as faithful stallions, untiring cart horses, foul-tempered rhinox. Uh, and things such as bleak lake crocodiles and ferocious flightless birds. Um, and sometimes they uh, include Ossiak leaders who crossed Nagash as part of that construction <laughs> as well, uh, which is always fun. Uh, the big advantage to having undead cavalry is that they can do things that would wound or even kill living horses. So, for example, the uh, the pack of Death Riders can turn on a dime, much like a school of fish suddenly changes direction. Uh, which would kill an actual group of horses because they'd fall over and break their necks. Uh, so they're able to charge in hard, uh, safe in the knowledge that they can basically get out of any situation with no problem. Uh, and also they are made to be strong. They are made of layers and layers of bone. Uh, they also have fanged jaws, prehensile tails ending in scorpion stings and metal shod hooves. So, uh, they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> uh, these guys. Uh, basically, their role is when they charge in, the horses hit first, throw the people, in, throw the enemy into the air, and then the riders just spear them midair to make sure they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right, cool. We're getting there. Not many to go now. Right, so we'll move on to the <laughs> war giants of Ossia. So basically, these are you know you're you're even more elite of the elite. <clears throat> okay, so this is basically your your uh, your stalkers and your mortis guard basically so so mm. the these are you know both of these types of unit have been created by mortis and priesthood as basically they've been given no limits because you know at the end of the day you know unlike you know unlike human anatomy you can you know with these you know bone constructs you can within reason you can pretty much do what you want uh to so mm. in turn they created these elite soldiers so starting with the necropolis stalkers um basically these are a nightmare 
like four-faced soldiers uh the you know i suppose you can argue they're the epitome of the soul crafting process uh these are basically used as shock troops to quickly you know quickly getting into battle shrieking with their blades and their you know all their arms and they use uh, eight foot spirit blades on their upper arms and their lower arms uh, armed with uh, na- uh, naderite daggers. Uh, basically, those with particular warrior, uh, those with particular types of warrior, warrior spirits, because that's what's obviously built in them, uh, will use mm. the, uh, what's known as dread falchions as well, which are even bigger swords. <laughs> um, so basically, the, these are given what's known as a quadrac mask. So basically, these, this is where the, the four heads come from. So it's a mask mm. of four faces with four different warrior souls, which can basically rotate and change the stance <laughs> of the uh, the stalker, which is just awesome. So you've got the blade strike aspect. Which, so this is basically come from the uh, warrior soul, a controlled type of warrior soul, so, you know, who's, who's you know, used to precision and things like that. So uh, the blade parry aspect is sort of, you know, I suppose like a, a fencer type soul to you know to basically be a wall of blades you've got the the precision precision aspect uh which is basically to deal with like armored enemies like stormcast to basically watch and faint their opponents you know i look for that you know that one little move you can get in and and uh, and strike um You've also got the uh, destroyer aspect, which is basically you know your your hacking and slashing <laughs> type as mm. as well. So uh, yeah, so that's the the four ones you've got there. Um, basically, when they're not in battle, they're busy patrolling their local necropolis. Really, you know, to also make sure mm. everyone's uh, behaving themselves. Um, and like I said, uh, the other type of elite soldier, like I said is the Immortus Guard. So basically these are used to defend their leaders. Uh, they're very silent against them. It's like the Morgasts, uh, armed with basically dread halberds and shields. Uh, you know, you, basically they're the ones to also get in the way uh, when defending their leaders. Uh, basically the first guard were created with an animus of Catacross's uh, Scions Praetorius, which are basically his defensive experts in uh, tall shields uh, as a defense and also as a weapon so basically mm. what's happened is these troops have basically perfected the shield strike in life and then now found it's even better in death as well so so this use this tactic of of the shield of the shield bash stab then forward with overwhelming attacks so like i said they smash them a shield give them a stab and then just overwhelm them basically so very cool units mm. both of those yeah and uh cameron wrap us up with the last one last couple yeah, so first off, we got the Mortec Crawler, which is an artillery piece designed by Catacross himself. Uh, it's a self-powered artillery device that can reload and fire itself in a matter of seconds, and it ripples along slowly to war on dozens of centipede-like legs, um, it can, which means it can fire on the move without lacking accuracy. Uh, it is powered by a turn wheel within which uh, one of the Morniel cast, one of the worker cast Bone Reapers who can't actually fight, uh, just walks for eternity, rewinding the uh, the firing arm. And it's uh, aided also by a war vizier, who is sort of a spotter, who's an expert at reading weak points and choosing which form of ammunition to use. Uh, because there's three different kinds of ammo it can use. It can throw a cauldron of torment, uh, which is basically a big bowl containing spirits too tortured by war and death to even animate a bone reaper construct properly. Um... And there's another type of ammunition called a cursed steel, or steel, or stella. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, as enemies attack the crawler, this cursed steel builds up a horrific lethal curse. And basically, the more injured it is, the more terrifyingly dangerous this steel is, and can uh, basically 
one-shot everything uh, if it tries hard enough. <laughs> um, and the final type of ammunition, which is the most cu- common, is a cluster of necrotic skulls that have been left to marinate below, below the Great Black Pyramid and are so filled with death magic that they uh, basically kill people instantly if they touch them. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, and the final unit is the Gothazar Harvester, which is this big, lumbering, many-limbed beast uh, designed to tear through infantry formations and then collect the bits left over. Hooray! <laughs> um, it's used as a line-breaker because it is a very mighty, big, terrifying beastie. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty awful to watch because as it's cutting and crushing your troops apart, all these little hands are picking up the bits, assessing them to see if they're worth holding on to, passing them back along the line into this big basket it has on its back. Um, and also those arms are also busy swatting away carrion birds that try to nick the bones. Um, but if a carrion bird gets too cro- close, those hands might instead grab it and add its own bones to the pile. Um, once the battle is over, it basically lumbers over to a mortisan, dumps its load of bone, and uh, lets them build uh, reinforcements. Uh, but in the middle of the battle, the mortisans can just pull bone straight out of the back of it uh, to create brand new... Uh, what's it? Brand new brain. Brand new uh, Mortec guard, generally speaking, but brand new <laughs> Ossiacs in general. Um, they are war constructs through and through, so they can actually vomit the spiritual byproducts of the corpses they gather as this sort of green fireball of spirit energy. Uh, they have this long prehensile tail that can gather the remains of the fallen, but can also just swat you so hard it breaks all your bones at once. Um, and they are then are armed with either these horrific sickles that can slash through and pull your bones out more easily, basically. Um, or it can also be armed with these big bludgeons that use shamanite magic to ensure that even ghosts can be destroyed by the blow, which is interesting <laughs> that they have a weapon option for fighting nice. incorporeal foes. <laughs> uh, and that's all the units for the uh, Bone Reapers. I think we did yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. We did it. We got to the end. Hooray! <sighs> oh, Goodness. I love the Bone Reapers. <laughs> they're, they're, so, so cool. they're so cool. <laughs> they really are. It's, it's, I love covering a new faction. I love it. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so nice it's to have something. Yeah, mm. exactly. I mean, it's always cool covering new, you know, new books for existing factions, but it's, it's great when it's something literally, you know, built from scratch, like these are. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's very appropriate, and I, I love it. I love their law. I love, like we said at the start, I love the fact that there's more to them than just another bunch of skeletons you know there's they're not that at all there's you know there's mm-hmm. there's you know community there's hierarchy there's you know autonomy um you know all the i, lo- I think all the cat you know the the named sort of characters all you know three or four of them the, the, i think mm-hmm. it's three but you know they're they're all got really cool personalities and, and reason for being part of it and all the different roles and yeah i love yeah. it i'm i i i'm such impressed with this faction <laughs> that you know i think like we, like we said at the start is even if you're not you know focused on you know collecting them or anything like that just just mm. get the get the get the battle tome it's such a good read and i'm hoping that we'll start seeing some you know novels and short stories with them as well which should be really cool yeah oh yeah so so yeah right uh we've yeah, we've been going a while now, so we better wrap this up quickly. <laughs> but we managed to fit it all in. That's the main thing. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, hope you've enjoyed this episode, episode 41. Um, so, Cameron, where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, come say hi. There's lots of cool stuff to talk about. So, yeah, do it. Do it. Yep. <laughs> uh, you can also find me on Twitter as well at Ninja Badger 7. You can find this show on Twitter, which is where all our Warhammer loveliness happens, which is at Realm and Ruin. Uh, so come say hi. Um, and that's it. So this is episode mm-hmm. 41. Uh, just a heads up next show. I believe we're covering the great work. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Great work is yes, the are. next topic. So, um, because that is going to be inundated with spoilers. Um, if you get a chance to read it between now and next episode, so you've got a few weeks, uh, get it. on it because it's great. It's but good. also we're going to be talking yeah. about a lot of spoilerish stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> that's next episode. Um, like I said, I hope you've enjoyed this one. And as always, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Ta-ra.